Hi there. Welcome back to the Johnny Depp. Oh my gosh. And a scamber turd trial, defamation trial. And I just did a podcast reading your comments that were on people. And now what I'm doing is I'm looking for uh, people, anonymous people on Daily Mail Live. That will get a lot of you lot to listen to my podcast live. Johnny Depp. Um, yeah. Daily Mail. Uh, where's, where is it live? News, where the fuck is it? Okay, I'm on the Daily Mail. 21.6 million followers on the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail is the one that fucking crucified Johnny Depp in the media. Uh, live Daily Mail. Johnny Deb, YouTube, okay. Should come up now. Oh my god. Supposed to be live. What the fuck? I don't see anything. Videos. Streaming. Okay, I just found the Daily Mail um, live sesh. Anti-pain calming effect. So, unfortunately, it also can cause respiratory suppression. And so when you use it with opiates, they're very, there are uh, people that aren't lucky enough to succumb to respiratory suppression as a result. But it has a very additive calming effect that people use it for. And what effect would this have on Mr. Depp and the dosage he was taking? Again, okay, again, what it would do is have the street value of using it with the opiates. The advantage is you're using it with opiates, and it's making, because opiates in general, despite everything else it does, are calming. And you use it with it, it offers further calming, which is why Doctors have been warned not to prescribe medications like Gabapentin and opiates together unless under significant strict following because it can cause serious problems, such as death, respiratory suppression. And Mr. Depp was also taking Adderall, correct? Yes. Can you please describe to the jury what that impact would have, and particularly in connection with the dosages? So... Adderall is a psychostimulant, which is prescribed relatively regularly for uh, ADHD. Um, the problem comes again when you're, okay, you're said, you sh- uh, shouldn't be prescribing or receiving Adderall when you're already using misusing cocaine. Okay, you're now doubling your stimulant dosage here. And basically, what you are talking about, again, it comes down to the substance use disorder population. You are using it to stay awake 
have energy, keep yourself oh, going, so sober here getting high, to getting energetic. <laughs> and then the only way to kind of combat that, because you have this effect, is to kind of take cut down it during the day and they down at the beginning. Be that's calming. So anywhere from opiates, prescription, anywhere from your rotten, anywhere from Seroquel, all medications that are potentially And so that's what this is going on. That's what the substance use disorder patient has. And it can't be given with someone using cocaine because that's an extreme risk for death. And what, if any effect, would these drugs have if they were mixed with MDMA or cocaine? So when you combine the two together, like I talked about before, there are effects where you are looking at predisposing traits of intimate partner violence. So jealousy, rapid mood changes, poor self-control. And to some degree, to some degree, yes, condoning right. violence to a certain degree. Um, right. When you combine them all so together, get you get more. this disinhibiting euphoria from cocaine and Adderall. And then when you combine the two together, what happens? You get too much, and then you start getting irritable. You start getting agitated. Is this a okay. <laughs> suspicious. Can we can Jealous, we move this weirdo along? We couldn't even brush his hair. What the fuck? Uh, disinhibited, psychotic, hands, and these are the risks. And again, we're talking about not he will your get average everyday use of, the of these substances. We're talking about attorney. chronic use together. And we like also know that alcohol and cocaine use independently. He's giving a lecture. Increase significantly the risk of intimate way over the top trying to prove these aren't point one sided. She's professor reports up to seven to twenty seven fold. So you are quote unquote colloquially playing with fire when you are talking about substances. Rather hear psychiatric advice from Gary Biz and that's all of us. And the substances that Mr. Depp was like taking and the record evidence relating to those, did you draw any conclusions concerning uh, whether he met these this criteria or these risk factors? So in terms of substance use disorder, when you, when you yes. look at it, um, so major role obligations not being fulfilled. Dr. Spiggle. Don't have any evidence about operating Imagine under Jerry the influence or not. Hard not to uh, social asleep. issues, especially disagreements and arguments with your spouse or family. So why did obviously there was tolerance and dependence? Why the JD didn't abuse his other partners just to ever write LOL? Medications. <laughs> Most of us would be dead. Uh, unsuccessful efforts, difficulty cutting back, using more Dr. than intended. Giving up social, uh, occupational obligations because this, that I hair know, was part of it. Right after the rehab on the on island the in Australia, Mr. Deb went out partying with Marilyn uh, Manson. Um, and he was Objection beyond the scope of the question. JD team is going to field trip with this one. I should start asking for the record joke. evidence for this. It looks like Sam Eagle. Okay. What other record evidence do you have supporting this? Uh, psychological using he despite to be the fact you know like it Johnny causes Depp, but his mom did psychological not psychiatric hi from Australia that's been pretty Hello, well Australia, so, Australia, in this Australia, case you're talking about someone you, who has a severe substance use disorder I, I, I do want to emphasize let uh, the jury that intimate partner violence and substance use disorders are two scourges in this country they are two plagues 
This is very serious stuff we're playing with. And when you are just getting someone closer and closer to the threshold. Objection, Your Honor. Relevance. This is highly relevant. I'll overrule as to relevance. Beyond the scope. Go ahead. Beyond the scope of the question? Yes. I sustain that. All right. Tell me more about the relationships between substance abuse and IPV, please. Yeah, so again, that you are talking about this and you are, you may be able to control the risk factors for IT, any of us. I'm reading these gems of yours on the podcast, hashtag Tristan Gabinator, y'all are much more sober lots in the Yanks and People magazines live. Disinhibited, not having these hyper intense emotions from substances. Once you add that to this mix, your brain can no longer do what it's supposed to do, and it's supposed to prevent you from doing Jerry this, fell asleep. quite frankly, because it's wrong. He repeats everything. He looks like a Did beggar. you arrive at any conclusions concerning <laughs> substance abuse and Mr. potential from the Simpsons. Put the dog on the stand. Put the dog on the Gatorade so, street value. I think the physician uh, <laughs> me, uh, explained that pretty well, but I'll tell you that Mr. Depp has a history of self-injurious behavior meaning cutting himself. Mr. Depp has a hinge history of burning himself. Um, I know when the actual event happened, there was uh, texting to Dr. Kipper paraphrasing, not saying exactly, that Amber and him got into a disagreement his own cigarette related to on his own face? her wanting him to be sober. And then as a result of that, he said he got so angry, he, uh, he cut the tip of his finger off. So if you're asking me, can someone who has, or have I seen, and can someone who cuts themselves, burns themselves, can cut a tip of their finger off with or without alcohol or cocaine or the rest, the answer is... Objection beyond the scope of the question. Exactly. Overruled. Thank you. Objection. Was it overruled? It was overruled. So... That, that is not a very far jump. I've certainly seen patients do a lot worse than that who started out with similar risk factors of, you know, burning self and cutting self. I'm not going to get into the descriptions, but I've, I've seen people do a lot right. worse than that. Oh, is so this guy implying yes. that, okay. that he burned himself when he put his own cigarette butt out in his fat face? Um, but can you tell the jury, put, please... Uh, a little bit more about intimate partner violence and and what is included in that. So, uh, the APA task force on violence in the family defined more or less this topic that of too. domestic abuse, intimate partner violence, as recurrent abusive behavior by means of psychological, sexual, or physical maltreatment for the purpose of achieving control or maintaining power, authority, and control. Okay, he's clearly on cocaine. Can it include threats and intimidation? So he was the muffin man at first, it but includes, now so I So in the part of psychological oh my God, abuse, which is done essentially as a means of emotionally hurting someone, but with the same end goal to achieve control, it can be uh, destroying property, 
It could be financial. A long unbroken which is part sentence of that. that goes on and on. Verbal outbursts. Verbal outbursts. I'm sorry. Threats, intimidation, body language. All of that goes under the concept of psychological. You may be able to divide it verbal, nonverbal. I love about British people. They say words they've never heard before. But they're all under that rubric. Do survivors of intimate partner violence experience mental health issues? Describing Amber to a T. Here we go. I'm getting irritable and agitated. Can you repeat the question? Do survivors of intimate partner violence experience mental health issues? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So survivors of uh, intimate partner violence. And by the way, I should start out by saying, we don't expect in psychiatry, we don't expect our victims to be perfect. We don't know so starting with that oh my God, okay it is not unusual as survivors to see substance WTFL. use substance abuse substance abuse chronic depression post-traumatic stress disorder substance post-traumatic stress disorder along the lives of bad or wise syndrome and some emotional unpredictability. And again, you are a victim here. Oh you are my a God, again with the finger. I hope Johnny Do Williams perpetrators typically seek treatment hotel. or counseling? No. Perpetrators are, are not receiving counseling uh, treatment. One, because they're going to be probably having to tell someone that they actually struck someone, which Definitely is what their thought is about on. the big problem. That intimate partner violence is just the hitting. Again, important, but not the sole part of it. So perpetrators very rarely will go into uh, any type of formal counseling. Victims Except JD was getting treatment. Amber go into counseling. Not. Victims are seeking actually couples counseling. Victims are seeking like couples advice to try to repair what's happening. <laughs> but in terms of actual perpetrators... Like other people that. need hydration too. In your review of this case, is there record evidence of physical violence by Mr. Depp? So, Objection, Your Honor. Jury, no use. Jury, see here. Ever no foundation. Johnny Depp's true as Why his star name ruined by Amber? It's, it's, uh, English as a second language speaker. ESL speaker. This guy is wasting his time. Wasting time. I can't listen to this kook. I will check in later. I have an effing migraine. Mr. Burns look alike. Self-harm, what a joke. I agree, Gail. Johnny used Amber for her looks. Amber used Johnny for money status. And beds. Turds. Look at Camille. She's so over it. Haha. He's fully facing the juries. He's lecturing. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, um... Maybe my comment's not, not being seen as part of my, um, you know, being geofenced. But I did see that there are more, there are a goodly amount of listeners on this. And then we're, you know, getting like 20, almost 30 listens in some of my podcasts, which is higher than normal. I mean, like highest ever. But, you know, I've been podcasting for a long time, so, sheesh, man. Anyway, thanks for 5,000 plus listeners. And one of these days, whether or not, Kevin, Kevin, 
Hello, Kevin. I need some TP for my bunghole. Um, actually, I was going to um, I was going to listen and sing, uh, listen to "Man of Colors" by Ice House. Uh, it's an Australian band. Shout out to Australia. Good morning, Australia, indeed. Is it morning in Australia? Hello, Australia. Shout out to Australia. So I'm going to do shout out to Australia. In fact, I should do that more, and then I'll get more listeners from those those countries, and um, maybe even like do some for my Taiwan fans, like famous in Taiwan and everything, because my name was in the paper all the time. As a copy editor and features writer, travel, travel writer with Fun Taiwan's, uh, it's a, uh, it's a very popular show. Janet Chien. There was, a, there's a picture of me somewhere with Janet, Janet. Okay, Johnny is so guilty, you people are delusional. Um, think it's a cross between a weird bird and Mr. Burn. Okay, unleash, come here. <laughs> <laughs> they must have not given him all the recordings. He needs his meds. He needs his meds. Okay. The risk factors for News. IPV that Mr. Related to Mr. Depp. So risk factors are reviewed that correlate. Uh, so starting uh, with the, I guess we'll start with the physical because that was the question that was put out there. What I have reviewed has demonstrated uh, pushing, shoving, uh, grabbing. Objection, Your Honor. Let me, let me see if I can direct this a little differently, Dr. Spiegel. Um, rather than giving the summary of what that was, what did you review that correlates? In other words, did you review witness statements? Did oh, you okay, review okay. depositions, so uh, photos? Yes. So what I reviewed... Oh was in terms okay. of like, um, uh, witness statements, Dr. Kipper's notes. Very, very interestingly, actually, early on in, the, in, I think it was 2012, around that time, circa 2012, 2014, uh, Ms. Hurd was... Uh, it should be on the scope of the question. What he reviewed is the question. All right, let's... Uh, let's so I reviewed... Oh, just the, so... Ms. Hurd's objection. There's no question pending. If he's he's okay. answering, go ahead and answer what you reviewed. Please continue with what you reviewed. Therapists' notes, counselors' notes, text messages, depositions, video, uh, pictures. Um, 
psychologists' notes and evaluations. Uh, and I said physicians' notes. That's what I reviewed. All right. Now, you've indicated that uh, intimate partner violence includes physical violence, sexual abuse, and psychological aggression. Can you please describe for the jury what psychological aggression is and what it entails? So, it says psychological aggression would be the engaging in behavior for the sole purpose of emotionally and or mentally harming someone with the main purpose of, again, to maintain like control. So behaviors that can occur with psychological Gamble. aggression include uh, insults, intimidation, um, fi holding things financially against someone, um, uh, jealousy rants, um, property destruction. So all that is involved uh, a nonverbal communication, so threatening looks, glances, things like that. All that is involved in psychological maltreatment in intimate partner violence. What if any? Uh, what if anything would be psychological aggression if it was trying to control somebody's career? Would that be a factor? Yeah, so Section leading. So yeah, trying to trying to control someone here that would be under financial, the trying to uh, to uh, mistreat someone, uh, especially you know someone wants to succeed uh, and trying to have a career and you're preventing them from doing so by maltreatment. That's another example. So I'm going to ask specifically about the risk factors for intimate partner violence. Is substance abuse a risk factor for intimate partner violence? Yes, it is a risk factor as well as a precipitating cause. And what uh, record evidence did you review that correlates to Mr. Depp engaging in substance abuse? So the record evidence of, I'll just start with Dr. Kipper and uh, the substances that Mr. Depp was using and misusing both in terms of prescribed and on your drug screen were uh, brought out to that. Okay. Uh, is lack of behavioral control and impulsiveness risk factors for intimate partner violence? Yes, they are. Okay. Um, and what, if any, uh, record evidence were you aware of that Mr. Depp had lack, exhibited lack of behavioral control and impulsiveness? Uh, again, threatening. Uh, Objection. Record evidence. That correlates with, and I'm on the risk factors. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, threatening. Um, uh, uh, destroying furniture, property, breaking things. She must have blown him. Writings on uh, walls, mirrors, writing <laughs> um, blood on furniture. Um, all that would be go with, with that. Okay. All right. Um, and what, if any, risk factor is narcissism for intimate partner violence? So, 
A patient, before we get into narcissistic personality traits or disorder, the overall, it's categorized under what's called cluster B personality. Objection, Your Honor, beyond the scope of the question. He's explaining the narcissism. I'll sustain objection. Okay. Can you explain to the jury what's involved with narcissism as it relates to the risk factors of intimate partner violence and what that realm is? So narcissism patients have, again, poor self-control, okay, rapid mood shifts, okay. As a result, they have an undue sense of admiration. They worship power. They worship control. They have lack of empathy, and people are generally kept around as long as they're useful to them. A large sense of entitlement. Need for praise. So that would go under narcissistic personality and IPV. What if any traits would be requiring admiration? Would that fit into it? Yeah, yes. Requiring admiration. Need to be admired part and parcel of narcissistic personality disorder. Would being envious fit within that? Fragile self-esteem? Yes. And what if any record evidence do you have that correlates with Mr. Depp being narcissistic? Well, I do think that the fact that he thought that Amber owed him, Ms. Hurd owed him. Objection, Your Honor. Thank you. Go ahead. The fact that Ms. Hurd owed him and only wanted to be together with him because of his fame is an example of that. I do think the jealousy aspects are an example of that. I do think, you know, I think Mr. Tillett had testified that, you know, being admired is one thing, but then behind your back saying something else about people is another thing. And I can probably say with a reasonable certainty that to some degree this whole trial is that. Objection, Your Honor. That's not record evidence. Speculation. Please continue. That this whole trial in terms of narcissism, narcissistic insult is what's going on. I believe that Mr. Depp was very much a mainstay appropriately in Hollywood, and then this was pulled the rug without. Objection, Your Honor. Can we be. He's able to explain what he sustained that objection. Can you explain what you mean by this whole trial? This proceeding would go. This court case would go. There's an objection, sir. What other conduct is in the record evidence that correlates with Mr. Depp being narcissistic, having those traits? 
was the thing about the trial rule? I can't yeah, speak to you. Yeah, we're not allowed to say that. Not say that. Okay. The only other thing about narcissism, I think, in terms of the trial would be in order to maintain any sense of control, a narcissistic person really has to have lack of empathy because in order to engage in behaviors that quote unquote are used to keep individuals in control, you don't really think about the other person. You're not really caring what happens to that other person. So I think that's another facet. So are attitudes accepting or justifying intimate partner violence a risk factor for intimate partner violence? Yes. Um, do some perpetrators in intimate partner violence try to minimize the IPV? Yes. So it is unfortunately not uncommon, especially during, especially during the calm phases of the abuse cycle where there is no increased tension, there is no acting out. Okay, you are talking about more of the honeymoon, apologetic phase, begging for forgiveness, telling them how you're going to change, maybe giving them gifts. And then when the dust settles later in the day, a day or two later, it is not uncommon for the perpetrator to kind of switch the blame over to the victim, saying that, hey, you know, this either denial, this never actually happened and trying to make me look bad, or an allopathic defense where um, you instigated it, or an altruistic effect where I'm doing it for you, transformative effect that society kind of accepts this. So it is very uncommon for all of a sudden for that to start shifting. During that time, because it is during the calm phase and everything is, is relatively calm. This, of course, is when the victim wants to engage in, in treatment. But beyond that, uh, the ability to kind of quote unquote, for lack of a better phrase, win people over, family, friends, uh, the law, I mean, the very ability to do that is part and parcel of that calm, charming phase where it looks like the victim is, you know, just fabricating this. Um, and is victim blaming uh, a characteristic? Yes. Like I said, I mean, to blame the victim that one of the defenses are the allopathic uh, defense uh, comes along with victim blaming. That's what it says you're doing. I'm blaming you for what you made me do. And is there record evidence that you reviewed uh, that correlates with Mr. Depp engaging in this type of behavior? So uh, I think for a lot of the issues seen, the big precipitant was going to be the need for sobriety. Coming again, coming back to that severe subjection, your honor, non-responsive. I, I think he's trying to explain it. Thank you. Please continue. This severe substance use disorder, and many of their arguments, but what I reviewed in the record, stemmed around Ms. Hurd's desire for Mr. Depp to maintain sobriety, and that what was happening. So as a result. She was blamed for, you know, bothering him in a way he didn't want to be bothered, and that triggered what was going on. I, 
are you familiar with the term gaslighting? Um, I'm familiar with the term gaslighting. Okay. It, what, if any, gaslighting uh, is consistent with intimate partner violence and the risk factors? So, again, when you start being able to be, when a person starts to be able to be manipulative and charming, you start to be able to win people over, and especially when you see someone who's a victim who is essentially vulnerable, emotionally uh, emotionally uh, labile, okay? You see that person, and then you see this calm demeanor in front of you who is very charming, very engaging, very personable, and then all of a sudden it starts looking like the victim is just a, a I was essentially losing it, and i.e. they make their being gaslighted. Is there examples where an intimate partner, uh, violent uh, perpetrator, uh, claims that the victim is the person who's actually committing the abuse? Yeah, oh yes, oh yes. How common is that? That's very common. Again, that's part of the, that is very common in the occurrence of the, like the, the, the um, honeymoon phase and the calm period of the abuse cycle. Very common during that time where the victim or they shifting the blame or anything along that line. That's very common for that to happen. And you indicated that you reviewed some audio tapes in this case, correct? Yes. And, and what, if any, evidence did you review there that correlates with Mr. Depp attempting to claim that Amber was the one? Well, I think that was what was said, that Amber uh, was the abuser. Objection, Your Honor. I don't understand the objection. What record evidence? Thank you. Please, please continue. So that claiming that uh, Amber was uh, the abuser in this particular scenario, and what what I will reiterate again is that one victims aren't perfect, and two, it is not uncommon in the context of being a victim when you know that person is about to proceed or relapsing to a substance or going to a substance and anticipating what's going to happen, that you anticipate the next mood and start initiating self-defense. But by and large, that's not what's going on here. By and large, Mr. Depp, behavior. Objection, Your Honor. Behavior was uh, consistent. There's an objection, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll sustain the objection. Okay. All right. We can, we can move on to the next one. Is prior victimhood of abuse a risk factor for intimate partner violence? Yes. And what, so go ahead. There is something known as intergenerational theory of violence, which is basically along the line of uh, observation, imitation, reinforcement. So you observe a behavior that occurred in childhood, you imitate it when you see that there's no significant negative consequences, but you do get the positive consequence of maintaining control of a situation, solving the conflict in your way, if you would. So that theory is, interestingly, it's, it's, it applies to not only the victims, I'm sorry, not only the perpetrators, but also the victims, because there are many victims who grow up in a house of abuse that are not abused, but they're the victims of abuse. What are the warning signs of intimate partner violence? So warning signs would be increasing the tension 
escalations of tension. So that's when you start seeing, hey, partners getting angry, okay, starting to, starting to break down the communication, starting to engage in verbal, nonverbal threats. Victim concedes due to this tension, and that leads you to the actual act. So these acts are going to progressively build, and then they occur. What, if anything, uh, have you seen in intimate partner violence about apologies and promises? So again, the apology is part and parcel of the honeymoon phase, and promises are part and parcel of the honeymoon phase. And, you know, the victim wants to believe it's going to work. They want to believe their spouse is going to be faithful to this. And as part of the abuse cycle, um, it ends up, the, as I should say, in the, in the calming cycle, like I said, the victim tries to get some help to try to resolve this until the tension buildup phase where something bothers them. So again, it could be um, bothering someone about substance abuse. It could be bothering someone about finance. It could be bothering something about your career. Anything is liable to build up tension when you have this framework of limited self-control and erratic, intense mood shift. So what, if any, record evidence did you review that reflected Mr. Depp engaging in these warning signs, including the apologies and the promises? I think it's, that was almost routine, that after it was all said and done, that he would apologize uh, for letting this monster out, letting this anger out, uh, almost routinely. Um, and there's very well record evidence of that starting as early, early on in the marriage uh, in, in one of the therapy from his herd. So um, that's, that's very common and very much occurred, recognizing what happened. And the other part of this is, again, when you can recognize that when you're sober, even short-lived sobriety, when you could recognize that, that things are better things are happening better, life is better, then even that should show you that, hey, there's an issue here. There are issues here that when I don't use can be resolved. Thank you, Dr. Spiegel. I'm going to now move to the Goldwater Rule. Can you explain the Goldwater Rule, please? Uh, so the Goldwater Rule is when Senator Goldwater was running for presidency, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, I think it was in the late 60s when he was, early 70s, because I was too young to even follow politics then, so I, please don't quote me on exactly what it was. Um, but basically what's happening is um, clinicians, psychiatrists were making these quote-unquote armchair diagnoses from their homes or offices because they saw this person on TV the way they acted and were asked to comment about what they think their diagnoses are. And therefore, it was felt that that should not be done by professionals in these public settings. It, does it have any applicability here? No. Objection. Not. Why not? No foundation. 
He was explaining what the Goldwater rule was. So you don't make diagnoses like that. Um, this is not the case here, because I, like I said to you at the beginning, I have reviewed a lot of professional, uh, a lot of professionals and their evaluations and their treatment course, uh, 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 video deposition, picture deposition, court filings, uh, email time. I mean, I reviewed a whole lot of things that directly describe. Uh, Mr. Depp and his behavior. So I'm not commenting on a public opinion and I have absolutely no knowledge of, of uh, what's in Mr. Depp's history. Um, if I was just doing that, it would be like watching a movie. I, I, that's not relevant here. And in fact, I think you testified earlier you invited Mr. Depp to oh, yes. give an again, objection to leading. Uh, overall. Thank so to, to be fair, uh, for an evaluation, for my own direct evaluation. Again, I was offered twice that I can do an evaluation of Mr. Depp directly, and both times Mr. Depp and or his lawyers decided that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, because he's okay. a public and, and in fact, the court did not require Mr. Depp to... No, and the court did not require Mr. Depp to undergo this evaluation. Okay. Dr. Spiegel, these opinions that you have offered here, do you hold them to within a reasonable degree of medical and psychiatric probability or certainty? Absolutely. Thank you. All right, cross-examination. Thank you, Mr. Jennison. Sir, I'm Wayne Dennison. Uh, we haven't met. But let me ask you, let's start with what you finished with. By the way, it sounded to me like he was describing Amber about the gaslighting, basically. Gaslighting and um, everything. And she was the one that grew up as a, as a um, victim of abuse. Abuse. And, um, and that's what role he had in this relationship as well. If you look at her previous relationships... She's she spent the night in jail before for domestic or for uh, hitting her girlfriend or wife at the time um, in the Seattle airport. Go figure. I'm sorry. One more time. Let's start with what you finished with. You understand that the court was twice asked by Miss Hurd's counsel to order a medical exam of Mr. Depp, and those motions were denied. I think the, the, your team told the court you didn't want to have them, and the court ruled on them, right? I don't think the court proactively did it. You kind of had a motion to them, right? No. When Ms. Hurd's lawyers moved for them and asked for them and did not get them. Isn't that right, sir? If, if you're saying that's what happened, my understanding of was that you, you all did not want him to ha undergo one. They petitioned for it. The court said no. Yes, that's what my understanding of it was. The court said no to ordering Mr. Depp to do 
the medical exam. Right. I said the court did not require it. Right. And there was one that was ordered, in fact, right? There was. Ten thousand five hundred nineteen watching now. Start streaming two hours ago. All right. So the last thing you talked about uh, was the Goldwater rule. Yes, sir. Been around for almost fifty years, right? Uh, yeah, I'm fifty nine. That sounds about right. Yeah, and it's been around as a result of a presidential election that you referenced. Yes. And who has that rule? What organization uh, maintains that rule? The American Psychiatric Association. Uh, an association you're a member of? Associated by a member of, yes. Yeah. Aren't you a fellow or something? Yes, I am. Okay. So, and this is an ethical rule, right? It is an ethical rule. And yes, it's ethical. They say rules. It's an ethical guideline. Yes, they're guidelines. Mm -hmm. And... You know that over time, the American Psychiatric Association has amended the rule, so it's not just about diagnoses, but it's also about professional opinions. Could you be more specific, say, about professional opinion in regard to what? Well, let me, it, let me read this and see if you're familiar with it. It is unethical for a psychiatrist to offer a professional opinion about an individual based on publicly available information without conducting an examination. That's the rule, right? If you're reading it directly, I will believe you. Okay. However, a diagnosis is not required for an opinion to be professional. So my question is, it's not just diagnosis that this Goldwater rule applies to, it's professional opinions. So again, I, I will reiterate that that would come down to essentially nullifying witness Kids testimony, like expert witness testimony, one. without direct evaluation. And yes. as we know, it didn't happen. But regardless of that, the whole expert dogs. witness testimony thing would be basically rendered null, null and void. The rule, in fact, contemplates that issue, doesn't it, sir? The, again, I'm just telling you the answer to the question. When you were reading me those statements, I'm telling you the response by the other side, who is publishes also, is that if that was the case, there could be no expert witness testimony in the courtroom. Psychiatrists are ethically prohibited from evaluating individuals without, permit, without permission or other authorization such as a court order. That's the rule, right? Again, if you're reading that, then I have to believe you're not misrepresenting it. And I would come back to, again, then this whole thing on effort, we might as well get rid of all the expert witnesses we've had throughout all of time for court proceedings. Because what you're saying is unless a court orders it, and that's what you just said, or the APA said, then therefore expert witnesses cannot do an evaluation based on an observation of the medical records. Insurance companies cannot do evaluations solely based on the medical records with our doctors rendering professional opinions. So at the end of the day, you are essentially saying that unless someone has directly evaluated it, this whole medical system we have, this whole legal system we have, 
is null and void. Uh, I, I'm not saying. No, yes, you are, sir. No, you are. Give me a give me a second, and I'll, I'll give you more than a second. What what I'm saying and what I am reading to you is a rule by your organization that takes into account that there could be court orders that would permit the the exact kind of evaluation that you say I'm eliminating. And I think we're going in circles because I think I just said that means. Expert witness testimony would not be allowed, and the branch of forensic psychiatry would be especially hindered. And we know the branch of forensic psychiatry does not prohibit that. So I am a member of the APA. That doesn't necessarily mean every single thing they put in there, everybody has to uncategorically agree with, because clearly that's not the case. Did you agree in your deposition that the, the professional opinions you rendered were um, Inconsistent with the Goldwater rule. Yeah. My first is inconsistent. If we're saying that I, if the Goldwater rule says, and I very much said that during deposition, that the Goldwater rule was made for presidents and public figures such as that, but regardless of that, because that's what it was made for, it's not made for Hollywood, but I'll even take that Mr. Depp's a public figure. What I'm saying to you is, that the Goldwater rules say we cannot do any expert witness testimony in our field. That is exactly what the Goldwater rule is saying based on exactly what you read. And I'm just telling you what you are saying that rule encompasses. What I'm asking you, sir, is did you comply with the ethical requirements of the APA when when rendering the professional opinions that you've rendered today. It is a, it is a requirement of the APA. It is not the requirement of the APA. Secondarily, So again, the answer is no? Secondarily, 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 again, in order to not, you, we, we waste our whole morning because of an expert witness before me. There's an expert witness is everyone brought in. So all I'm saying to you, that means the whole field of medical legal law is corrupt and unethical for engaging in an act that the APA clearly says we should not do. So if you're saying that, then the answer is yes, I'm agreeing with that statement. You're agreeing that the APA would deem your testimony and your professional opinions rendered unethical. I, again, I am saying, you are saying that the whole, I'm an expert witness. I am saying as an expert witness, and solely as an expert witness, the, that guideline is permitting that from occurring. I would say then that the whole field of expert witness testimony, again, would be disavowed by what you are quoting in the Goldwater Rule. And we know that's not the case, because if it was, we would not be allowed to do it. And you said the rule was for presidents, right? And that was initially figures. for presidents, yes. But, and the name of the rule came from that. But the rule says it is unethical for a psychiatrist to offer a professional opinion about an individual. That's right, sir. It's not just presidents, it's not public figures, it's individuals. Funny, it was named after the, according to your logic, if you don't put something in the title, it's not true. That's what you told me this morning, I believe, about my intimate partner violence. So what I would say to you then, sir, is that if you say this about an individual, again, any court would have to render an expert witness testimony invalid. Any doctor that reviews charts would have to render it invalid. 
I can go on the list of docs that do not see or interview patients directly, and that's a violation. So basically, you are saying that unless you do a direct clinical evaluation, then all of the field of forensic psychiatry and all of uh, managed care is doing an unethical violation because we are not seeing the presence. We deny patients medications all the time without seeing them. We deny patients treatments, unfortunately, without seeing them. And I'm on the receiving end of that. So the answer to your question, again, unless you were saying to me that all of this is unethical, which is what you are saying. This is what you are, this is how I'm interpreting what you are saying to me. That unless you do the evaluation directly yourself, therefore, it could not be considered ethical. And I'm telling you how that applicable to not just expert law, but also managed care, it applicable to multiple brands of medicine. Hospital, duration of hospitalization stay, they get evaluated. So tell me, tell me where you want me to end this. Well, Sorry. why don't we, why don't we, why don't we talk about what you just testified to, because I didn't ask you anything about that. I asked you whether, under this rubric, under this principle of medical ethics, have you acted unethically? Yes I or no? Act, no. As an expert witness, I have not acted unethically. And if you want the jury to believe that expert witnesses are unethical, then I guess that's for them well, to decide. That's, yes that's or no, for them sir. to you decide. Said no. Let's go to the next question. Okay. Right. Psychiatric diagnosis occurs in the context of an evaluation based on thorough history-taking examination and where applicable collated or collateral information. You'll agree with that? I believe I said that earlier, yes. Yeah. And it's a departure from the, method, from the methods of the profession to render an opinion without an examination and without conducting an evaluation in accordance with the standards of psychiatric practice, correct? Well, again, and it, by the way, for the record, it, it, right. Oh, I just dropped my painting. Partner violence is not a psychiatric diagnosis. I'll start with that. Substance usage by themselves is not a psychiatric diagnosis, if you want to cut to the chase. Psychiatry is not a diagnosis of that. Narcissistic personality traits is not a diagnosis. Ergo, I am basically commenting on the things that were brought to me, which are not diagnosis. But an evaluation, if I was going to treat a patient, or anyone here. Those are the steps I would take. We, I think, started with the notion that this rule will apply. Right. Broader than diagnoses. It applies to professional opinions. I believe and you, you just rendered professional opinions relative to narcissistic personality traits, haven't you, sir? Relative to Mr. Depp. Again, I believe you just commented on what it takes to do in a psychiatric evaluation to establish a diagnosis. I'm almost certain that's what you said. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you didn't say that. But I'm sure you did. And
Therefore, what I'm saying is neither IPV nor substance usage nor narcissistic personality traits a psychiatric diagnosis. And then under the rubric of expert witness testimony, you are saying I acted unethically under the rubric of expert witness testimony. So if you, sir, would like to perceive that expert witnesses are unethical based on that, I am not going to sit here and disagree with you and waste everyone's time. I think it's fairly obvious. But thank you. I'll go ahead. These were your words. I'm just saying them back how they're interpreted. Okay. Um, let's start with the easy question then. Maybe we can... That was pretty easy. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. Doctor, you're going to have to just answer the questions. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. I'm yeah. getting into it. You, you need to just answer the questions, okay. Dr. Speaker. You are not rendering any diagnosis whatsoever of Mr. Depp today or ever. No, I probably would say to you that certainly I would not say narcissistic personalities or I would say traits. Certainly from what I have read, intimate partner violence is not a diagnosis. So the answer is no for that. Uh, narcissistic personality traits is not a diagnosis. The answer is no. But if you want to tell me that substance use disorder is a psychiatric diagnosis, the answer is yes. And I... But that wasn't an issue, was it, whether Mr. Uh, Mr. Depp used substances? I mean, you said you've gone through the record. That, that wasn't really an issue at this trial. He's said it from day one. Oh, so you're saying he's already admitted to the diagnosis? He's so, already admitted to the use of the substances. Oh. Well, again, there's a difference between admitting to substance use and substance use disorder. Let's go back to uh, what you just said about narcissistic personality traits. Yes. Narcissistic personality disorder is a DSM-5 diagnosis, correct? Correct. Diagnos diagnostic personality, and you haven't testified that Mr. Depp has um, narcissistic personality disorder, have you? I would certainly, if I didn't, I'm certainly thinking that, but at least I'm going to say he has traits, which are characteristics of provisional diagnosis of it's a provisional diagnosis of probably narcissistic personality disorder. But yeah, I mean, I do believe that. Well, when you say provisional diagnosis, you know the DSM-5 requires, in order to find that diagnosis, five of the nine factors. Mm -hmm. And you haven't done that analysis. You've never made that diagnosis. You've just identified certain factors. That are criteria for the diagnosis. Right. But you need five of nine to get to the diagnosis. You've, you've already told us that you didn't make a diagnosis. You're just ide identifying traits, correct? I'm identifying traits that are consistent with the diagnosis, yes. Right. And you, did you testify in deposition that the existence of traits, as opposed to the disorder, doesn't have a correlation with IPV? Uh, I, if I said traits do not have a correlation with the, if that's what I said, and I don't remember saying that, but that wouldn't be a correct thing. Narcissism has a correlation with the diagnosis. Yes, that part's true. All right, how far are we going to back this up? Because there's a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder, mm -hmm. right? Yes, sir. And that one is tied, has some correlation with IPV, right? Narcissism has correlation with IPV. Again, you, sir, I'm, you're not allowed me to answer. 
I'm, you're splitting hairs. You're splitting hairs between the traits that are consistent with, which all I'm commenting on is behaviors and traits that are consistent with the diagnosis and Mr. Depp. Narcissism absolutely has uh, risk factors associated with. Hi there, this is Christopher Gavin Knight and welcome back to the Johnny Depp v. Scamber Turds defamation trial day 20. <clears throat> 588,000 people watching now on the Law and Crime Network. I'm going to go there and check it out, man. For sure. Day 20. After Johnny Depp is suing ex-wife Amber Heard for $50 million for defamation in connection with her 2018 Washington Post op-ed in which she spoke about being the victim of domestic violence, Heard's Turd's article did not specifically name Depp as her alleged abuser, but according to Depp's lawsuit, it relied on the central premise that Miss Turd was a domestic abuse victim and that Mr. Depp portrayed a domestic violence against her. Miss Turd is countersuing Depp for $100 million, of course. This guy is an absolute nutter. I'm reading a comment. I'm reading all caps so they can read it. Things don't buy pretty fast. I'm uh, I'm reading your hilarious comments. Not on the podcast. And welcome to a very special For the Record, everybody. I'm Jesse Weston, live in Fairfax County, Virginia, outside of the Fairfax County Courthouse, where we are live in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation trial, day 20. Clearly a lot to break down, but in this hour, we're doing something special for all of our YouTube viewers, all of our Twitch viewers, all of our viewers on social media. And our network viewers, if you have a question about this case, email us, tweet us, pin it on the YouTube channel. We are going to answer your questions right now in real time, me and my very special guest. This is the Johnny Depp case where he is suing Amber Heard for $50 million, claiming she defamed him in a Washington Post op-ed piece. She is countersuing him for $100 million, saying he orchestrated a public smear campaign against her. Amber Heard's side is continuing to present some witnesses. I know there are constant developments in this case, including the fact we learned that Kate Moss, Johnny Depp's ex, will now testify this Wednesday. Pretty big development. So throw in your questions. We're going to answer them in real time. Right now, we'll start with the uh, a little bit of some of the recap of what you might have missed earlier in the day. We heard from a psychiatrist, Dr. David Spiegel, whose opinion was that Johnny Depp exhibited symptoms of a, a substance abuse disorder and also signs that he was the perpetrator of intimate partner violence on Amber Heard. Let's take a listen to that testimony real quick. Spiegel, could you please just summarize for the jury the conclusions you came to with your opinions, and then we'll take you through the specifics. So, in my opinion, based on my re review of the evidence, based on my clinical experience, based on my publishing experience, based on my teaching experience, that 
Mr. Depp has behaviors that are consistent with both someone who has a substance use disorder as well as consistent behaviors for someone who is a perpetrator. All right, so let's break down some questions. We're already starting right now. I'm joined right now by Anjanette Levy, who is live in that courtroom today and provided us quite the story about a woman picking up her baby and saying in the middle of open court, Johnny, this is your baby. We found out later it was not his baby, thank goodness. But we're also here with um, we're also here with Dina Dahl, who's, of course, been fantastic with our Q&A sessions. So, uh, Anjanette, I will go first to you. Uh, this is an interesting question. This is from Kaylee from Ness, from Facebook. Facebook. Kaylee Ness says, can you explain what the time limits mean for each side and how it relates to cross-examination? Uh, it means the clock is ticking. Uh, the side for Amber Heard really has fewer than eight hours left, so that's basically today, um, and they, I'm assuming we'll finish up today. Uh, so it means that as far as cross-examination goes, uh, they're going to have to maybe tighten it up if they want to get more in and get more out of their witnesses. Uh, so um, it's really interesting, and they're going to just have to, um, I think they're going to have to tighten it up. Some of their stuff goes really long, and now they're going to, after lunch, call Johnny Depp to the stand. We know having Johnny Depp on the stand is not a quick thing. So uh, they're going to have to speed it up, and uh, I don't think that they're going to be able to control Johnny Depp you may recall Ben Rottenborn was often frustrated with Johnny Depp, and we may see yep. more of that depending on how it goes. Yeah, he has these kind of long, elaborate pauses and, and sentences. Um, I also want to apologize. We have with us criminal defense attorney Karen Felicia Nance. Karen, I'm sorry I missed you there. So, you know what? I have an apology to you. I'm going to throw you a question from LOZ97. This is one of our YouTubers. How are they allowed? I wanted to say that... Um... Yeah, I noticed. Oh, um, she's speaking so slowly. I was being very careful with his words. And also, yeah, okay. It's the victim. That's more victim shaming and blaming. Where are you? Your cognitive decline. Because you choose your words so carefully and you speak so slowly. Or you're cognizant, you're an idiot if you have to listen to, um, have your lines fed to you through a, um, hidden mic. So, uh, <clears throat> And I want to say that I think the reason why he had to have his lines fed to him because he was in so much fucking pain. He almost fucking died. Okay? This turd threw not one, but two broken bottles at his head. I'm thinking, and put a cigarette out on his face. So. Yeah, I would be a little fucked up and, and um, if I had a relationship with Amber Turd as well. Amber, excuse me. So, but I noticed the lawyer took the tactic of saying, well, you don't really, you don't know anything about acting, so how would you know if that's an industry standard or not? 
I'm saying that he was in such pain that he had to have his lines fed to him because he couldn't concentrate. Totally fucking understandable, from my point of view. And plus, he held it together. He did. He managed to keep it together because he's a professional. Even if he's drunk, even if he has to have his fucking lines fed to him, he's still a professional. So suck it. Out to have witnesses in that haven't witnessed anything and are only giving their appearance, their opinions based on hearsay. How is that fair and how is it even allowed? I'm assuming this is in reference to some of the witnesses we've seen today who said that they never observed any kind of violence on their end or they never observed, you know, any certain things. Uh, they didn't, they weren't there for the injury to Johnny Depp's hand, but they are giving opinions nonetheless. What's your take on that? Great question. It it's with regard to the experts that testify. So expert witnesses can look at all of the evidence uh, that's presented in the case, re written reports, testimony, to give it in a, uh, their opinion based on their expertise, which is why in the beginning of each, uh, when these witnesses are called to the stand, they have to be um, asked certain questions as to why they're qualified to make their judgments, either in terms of a diagnosis or their opinion as to what's the, their specific called for. So the most recent one, right, is Dr. Spiegel, and that's why he's allowed to ask certain questions or make certain diagnoses, but on cross-examination, he's really being questioned as to whether or not he does have the expertise and the information before him to answer these questions that he's been asked and making these diagnoses, which obviously Don Depp's attorneys are objecting to. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Karen, because over to you now, Dina. We have a question, for, a question from Finn Willie from YouTube. Have you ever seen a more combative expert witness? I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about um, uh, Dr. Spiegel. Didn't seem to want to answer one single question without arguing. I was surprised at how argumentative he was. And I think he was so argumentative that it basically didn't even matter what he said on direct. I think some of the things he said on direct could very well have hurt Johnny Depp if the jury had found him credible and wanted to kind of rely on his expert opinion. But his inability to answer any of the questions and to be so argumentative made me as a viewer and probably the jury kind of question like, why he was so defensive like it, it just took his whole professional opinion as he said really into a question it was an excellent cross and i think they did a lot of damage on him yeah it was a little weird when they were asking him well didn't uh, marlon brando use an earpiece and he was isn't marlon brando dead i mean that's not the substance of the question here i mean he was trying to make the point that a lot of actors had used earpieces before and johnny depp was not kind of this mess that needed it all right uh andrea before we go to um another clip again we are taking everybody's questions right now on youtube twitch twitter facebook throw them in there um this is kind of a follow-up to what i just asked you this is from eight chicago typewriter eight you from youtube does the cross-examination from Johnny's team burn Johnny's clock? We talked about how there was time limits. Um, yeah, I think it does. I, I, and it's not going to be, it does burn their time up, but he's going to be called after lunch. And so he will be there, he'll be, they'll be questioning him on direct. So he'll be what's considered a, an adverse witness. Uh, so it did uh, burn their clock up quite a bit. That's why you have to be strategic in your cross-examination, in this case in particular. Um, again, we're taking more of your questions. I want to actually go back to Dr. David Spiegel, the psychiatrist who testified on behalf of Amber Heard. If you haven't seen some of his testimony, it was quite colorful. Take a look. 
As Mr. Depp suggested, based on your review of the record evidence, that alcohol and drugs actually help him. Actually, in review of the evidence, he has suggested that alcohol, Xanax, I'm in the list of medications, do help. Although I will also tell you on review of the evidence that there were at least two times I can remember that Mr. Depp was referring to at least short-lived periods of sobriety. I cannot exactly tell you what that included. Both times he said that he functioned better and that he recognized that alcohol and drugs was at the root of his problems. Again, this today is really just about dirtying up Johnny Depp and showing that what Amber Heard accused him of, she's having corroborating witnesses. All right, so let me go to you, Karen. Unwired Emmy from YouTube says, if Amber Heard wins, will she have to legally hand over the $7 million? I think that's in reference to maybe what the money she promised to donate to the ACLU and other kinds of charities. I think I'm reading that correct. What do you think about that? That's a great question because we've heard testimony about that. But that was with regard to their dissolution, their divorce. That was the agreement. The settlement agreement was that Johnny Depp would pay her the $7 million. And so the issue was, was $3.5 million going to go to Children's Hospital and $3.5 million going to the ACLU? And so even though that's been raised as an issue in this trial, that is not the determinative factor. It has to do with her credibility, I believe, which is why Johnny Depp's attorneys were asking about that. And on cross-examination, Amber makes the distinction between donation and a pledge. And so for her, those two things are the same, but in reality, they're not. She has not donated, and she's not obligated with regard to this trial to donate, even though she made that promise. It does affect her credibility, but it doesn't have anything to do with whether Johnny succeeds in his claim or Amber succeeds in her claim. I did read online that I think there was this kind of betting odds, and if she wins, the first thing she's going to do is donate the money. Obviously, from an optics point of view, it would look much better for her to do that. Okay, so Anjanette, I can't have a Q&A session without talking about Kate Moss. Beth Ann Allen, Beth Ann Allen from YouTube says, is Kate Moss testifying on behalf of Johnny or on behalf of Amber? Well, Kate Moss will be testifying on behalf of Johnny Depp. She will be what's called a rebuttal witness for him. And the reason she's being brought in on rebuttal is because Amber Heard opened the door to all of this. You'll recall that when Amber Heard was testifying a couple of weeks ago, she talked about that March 23, 2015 incident with Johnny Depp and Whitney Enriquez, Amber's sister, in which they were at the top of the stairs. And she said that was the first time she'd ever landed a blow on Johnny. She hit him because all she could think about was Kate Moss and the stairs. And when that happened, you saw Johnny Depp looking down at the table, smiling. His attorney, Ben Chu, turned around, gave a fist punch to Camille Vasquez, who would be cross-examining Amber Heard, because she opened the door. Kate Moss wouldn't have been allowed to testify in this case at all had Amber Heard not mentioned her. She opened the door to Kate Moss coming in because she is claiming that she heard some rumor that Kate Moss, that Johnny Depp threw her down the stairs one time. Kate Moss has said in interviews in the past, and she's still friends with Johnny Depp, that she cried for years after they broke up. She loved him dearly, and she said that Johnny Depp took care of her. So I think we're going to hear that Kate Moss, we're going to hear Kate Moss tell people that Johnny Depp didn't throw her down the stairs. 
Well, I mean, just adding to that, Dina Dahl, we, we have a, a user from Twitch, Tony Scungilly. What can Kate Moss's testimony do to help Johnny Depp's side, or is it more designed to hurt Amber's credibility? I mean, again, it all depends what Kate Moss is actually going to testify to. They believe they are going to, they're going to use her as a weapon. Well, you know, we heard an opening statement by Johnny Depp's attorney that, you know, no, nobody's ever um, alleged physical abuse against Johnny Depp in, you know, 30 years. And here now, the jury, you know, if Kate Moss does testify and testifies to how we think, we're going to hear somebody who was in um, a long relationship with him say that she, he never physically abused her. That helps quite a bit, especially with the testimony we just heard with that expert who really tried to say that because he's a substance abuser, which he's admitted, he's more likely to be a physical abuser. And if you now have a past relationship say, well, he didn't abuse me, it kind of discredits that whole thing that somehow it's tied together because the expert also said it doesn't have to be a substance abuser hits a physical abuser. Right. So every little bit of past relationships that come in showing Johnny Depp never did that before certainly helps him here. So many twists and turns in this case. You know, we thought we were going to hear from James Franco and Elon Musk, but they're like, don't worry, we got Kate Musk. She's coming in this week. So clearly there's a lot of things that are fluid that are happening here. We are taking your questions. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, I will just tease. There's one question from TTBA1878. Fantastic question that we're going to get into. Stick with us. We'll be right back right after this. Mr. brought up the kids' welfare. And she was obviously the abuser. So shouldn't the court address the needs to rescue little Unag from scam? From Stamber. By intent. Okay, so it says, Miss Turd brought up the kids' welfare, and she is obviously the abuser, so shouldn't the court address the need to rescue little Unag from Scamber? kids welfare and she is obviously the abuser when she's obviously the abuser so shouldn't the can and
as unfit parent. Such an unfit parent. And court taking the data, the out. Fine, ten, five dollar. Welcome back, everybody. We have a very special lunch break it's right now in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard <clears throat> trial. As soon as it starts up again, right behind me in the Fairfax County Courthouse, we will jump live. But right now in our lunch break, we are taking your questions. If you're on YouTube or Twitch or Twitter or Facebook, on our network, send us the questions. We will answer them. You can tweet us. You can pin the questions. We're answering them in real time. So I did tease one question. Karen, I'm going to throw it to you. I said this is a really good one. This is from TTBA1878. This is a very big picture question. Do you think this case has strengthened or damaged the defamation court process? Wow, that is a great question. I think I that it probably has put uh, a light on it. I don't think that most people in the general public have even focused on defamation. So I think that in a good way that we are, we're now aware, the, the public is aware that these type of lawsuits um, exist. So I think in, in that sense, it's, it's a good thing. The bad part is it's muddied by the whole um, allegations of domestic violence because now we have to focus on whether or not, from a criminal perspective, that these things happen. So I think that from two ways, one, yes, we're now aware that there is such a thing as defamation and how hard it is to prove. And on the other hand, we're coming to light the fact that actually men can suffer from domestic or be victims of domestic yeah, violence as well if people leave Johnny Depp's team. So I think that overall it has a, a good effect in terms of awareness and then we just need to focus on um, just their, their nuances to de domestic violence. There's so t many different types of, of physical, emotional, sexual. So I think it, it de definitely it's raises that conversation for more of us to have these type of discussions clearly. Yeah, it's we talk so much about the celebrity aspect, but the legal case is so important all together as well, and whatever the verdict ends up being. So again, great questions that we're receiving from all of our viewers. Keep them coming. I want to play some of the testimony from Dr. Richard Moore, this orthopedic surgeon who said the injury he saw to Johnny Depp's hand wasn't consistent with the story that Johnny Depp gave. And because there's been talk of a, of a glass explosion, um, Dr. Moore, there's there's seems to have been a suggestion that somehow glass may have sliced off the end of, of Mr. Depp's finger. Is that what's going on here? Uh, this wound doesn't really appear to be a, a sharp glass laceration. You referred earlier to an avulsion, um, which is a term I had never heard before your opinion in this case. Explain to the jury what that is. Please. So, so often with crush injuries and, and, um, and we'll see uh, tissue loss that we call an avulsion or uh, where the, the tissue's actually um, pinched or, or pulled away. 
uh, rather than, than sliced or cut. Um, and and it, it's not uncommon with crush injuries to see that. So uh, we're going back and answering some of your questions on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook. Okay, and Jeanette, this is, this is a good one. Again, I keep hitting you with the time, but people want to know. Because so, we never really see it in the criminal cases. This is from Angel Cat Life on YouTube. Cat spelled with a K. I just want everybody to know that. If they run out of time, can the judge really stop them? Don't they have a right to give their best case with all the evidence? Can it be a mistrial if the judge stops them? I, I don't think it can be a mistrial because she told them from the very beginning, this is what you have for your time. And it's up to them to use their time wisely and to budget wisely. It's as if you get a paycheck, right? You, you know what your take-home pay is. You know you don't go and blow it on, you know, one thing when you need groceries. So I think it's all about budgeting your time and using your time wisely and getting the most bang for your buck. And the judge has told them repeatedly, if you run your time out, if your clock is up, I will stop you mid-witness. I don't care. Mm, yeah, I mean... <laughs> We could be there. <laughs> Who knows how long? Because you know what? Here's the thing, Dina. The cross-examination that we've been seeing of Dr. Spiegel's, of, I mean, it's something to watch. And, and we have a question here from Twitter uh, from at Callie Broski. Do we think that maybe Dr. Spiegel was put on the stand to fluster Depp's side? I can't seem to find a good reason as to why to put him up there if he never actually gave an evaluation of Johnny. Well, you know, he he was meant to give his expert opinion, which he was right, that that kind of thing happens a lot in these cases. And I do think that what he said in his direct probably was helpful to Amber Heard. He was trying to make this connection between substance abuse and physical abuse, but he was just so bad on cross-examination that... You know, I I think his you I think the jury would probably throw out pretty much everything he said there. I also thought though about the clock because the the Johnny Depp team um, really took a lot of time cross-examining him, and I think they only did that because they know how much more time they really have than Amber Heard. They had that leeway because probably after the first few questions, they had pretty much already I thought destroyed his uh, direct. They probably could have just finished then. You know, it was interesting, during the uh, cross-examination, there was one point, point, again, as I said, Dr. Spiegel said, isn't Marlon Brando dead? Johnny Depp actually put his hand and his, you know, his face in his hands, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's happening here. But we have a question um, for, uh, for Dina, actually for Karen, from Mal. Uh, this is from YouTube. It's on the surgeon that we mentioned that who testified earlier, Dr. Moore. Would the fact that Johnny wrote with his finger in blood after the incident affect the look of the injury and therefore affect Dr. Moore's analysis? Remember Dr. Moore, as he just said, he doesn't believe that this was caused by a vodka bottle being thrown at Johnny Depp's hand. Now, he couldn't actually say what caused the injury, but he said clearly it's not from a, a vodka bottle. What do you think about that, though, if he was able to write with his finger? That, that's a great question, and so there, that was alluded to when we saw the mirrors, right, and we saw the black writing, then we see the red writing, and so that's a question that um, the jurors have to answer, but I, I'm hopeful that there'll be more information when, for example, when uh, Amber's team calls Johnny back up there, he probably has an explanation as to that, but I think the most powerful thing of the cross-examination... They won't let me post. Or first won't even let me buy a super chat. <clears throat> um, 
so this is 36,000 people are watching this live, this one live, this is entertainment, um, tonight, mm -hmm. entertainment tonight, yeah, TT. Say something. <coughs> Slow mode's on. I haven't even said anything, but got slow mode on already. The trials and resets. Hi there. We're back with Entertainment Tonight. All the documents I reviewed were confidential, and I also signed the confidentiality agreement, so everything I looked at was confidential. Okay. So that, in fact, does not even comport. That doesn't meet the restrictions. Objection that we leading. I mean, so would it be fair to say that you have not, or have you rendered any opinions? in this case as an expert witness, based on publicly available records. I have not read this any opinion based on any publicly available records. Thank you. Does anybody else get the idea now, that this you is were asked a number of questions about narcissistic traits and your, di your diagnosis or findings that Mr. Depp exhibited narcissistic traits or had that disorder. Do you recall that testimony? Yes. All right. And... The question was asked of you of the uh, whether if you have five of nine narcissistic traits. Do you remember that testimony? Yes. Okay. Now, one of the ones you testified before was in, for narcissism, it requires admiration, correct? Yes. What, if any, record evidence was there that Mr. Depp requires admiration? Huh. The, the yeah. very people that surround him need to admire him or they're no longer in his employment or his uh, working circle. Okay. The second one that you discussed was sense of entitlement. Do you recall that testimony? Yes. All right. What record evidence is there that Mr. Depp exhibited, exhibits behavior of needing a sense of entitlement? So, again, thinking that uh, Ms. Heard was marrying him solely for his money and his influence and that that was the case was, in my opinion, very entitled. All right. And the third one you discussed was exploitative. Do you recall that? Yes. Okay. And what is the record evidence that Mr. Depp exhibits behavior of, ex, that are exploitative? Again, I think the whole concept of abuse is exploitative. Okay. Uh, the fourth one was lacks empathy. Do you recall that? Yes. And what is the record evidence that Mr. Depp exhibits lacking empathy? To be able to... In, Commit intimate partner violence and the control you have over someone. I'm sorry. Can I be heard? Okay. I'm just going to ask you to give the record evidence of Mr. Depp's uh, lacking empathy that you know of. Yes. Am I allowed, am I allowed to elaborate? You, yes, just, okay. just a little different than what you said before. Okay. Um, so, if, if one does, so 
I'll make it more direct. So if you're not agreeing with what Mr. Depp has to say, you are no longer useful, okay? Therefore, you don't really care about others for others. You care about others for your benefit. So often on dismissing Dr. Kipper, uh, for Dr. Kipper setting some boundaries on substance use protocol, substance detox, is an example of lacking empathy and not really caring what other people have to say. All right. Another one of the characteristics that you cited was envious. Do you recall that testimony? Yes. What is the record evidence that Mr. Depp exhibits envy? I think jealousy is a good start for that. I think that Ms. Heard wanting to have a career, start with that, beyond what she has. And the jealousy parts of Mr. Franco and I think others commented this week, Ms. Burstyn commented, sorry, last week Ms. Burstyn commented about things about jealousy. So I think it's pretty apparent. Okay. And the next one you listed was fragile self-esteem. Do you recall that? Yeah. And what is the record evidence of Mr. Depp exhibiting that? So fragile self-esteem would be more along the line of a cluster B trait. I should put that in. It's not necessarily the criteria for narcissism. So it's a trait. And basically what that means will be that the combination of poor self-control and rapid mood states is fragile self-esteem, fragile personality. So we're going to line a cluster B rather than per se narcissistic. All right. Now we've seen Mr. Depp during this trial doodling and eating candy. What, if any, evidence would that suggest that he has narcissistic traits? Objection, Your Honor. No foundation. I'll sustain the objection. Now, you were asked about the cluster B, and counsel for Mr. Depp came back and said, are you aware Ms. Hurd has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder or histrionic personality disorder? Now, you reviewed, I think you testified at the beginning, you reviewed the therapy and counseling and medical records for Ms. Hurd, correct? Correct. What, if any, evidence was there that Bonnie Jacobs diagnosed Amber Hurd with either borderline personality or histrionic personality disorder? Objection, Your Honor. That's fair cross. He asked the question. That's fair redirect. It's beyond the scope. It's overruled. Thank you. So, if I could start. Ms. Jacobs demonstrated no personality disorder, borderline or otherwise. And on a review of Dr. Curry's records. Objection is beyond the scope of the question. I'll ask each of them separately. And you also reviewed the medical therapy records for Ms. Hurd for Count Cowan, correct? Yes. What, if any, evidence was there at any time that he diagnosed Amber Hurd with borderline personality disorder or histrionic personality disorder? Not only did he not, he referred to Mr. Depp as a narcissist. Okay. Now, you also reviewed all of Don Hughes' records and her testing, correct? Yes. And what, if any, evidence did you find in any of that extensive testing and note-taking that she had found that Amber Hurd had borderline personality disorder or histrionic personality disorder? Objection leading. What, if any? Overruled. None. Okay. And you also reviewed Dr. Curry's notes and her testing, correct? Yes. All right. And what, if any, evidence did you find in any of Dr. Curry's testing 
that Amber Heard had either borderline personality disorder or histrionic personality disorder. She had traits. She did not meet the full on her own evaluation. She did not have the full endorse enough criteria to meet the criteria for borderline personality disorder and or histrionic personality disorder. She definitely had traits. She did not have the disorder by going by the strict number of uh, criteria. Now, you mentioned in response to Mr. Depp's counsel's questions, you started to talk about battered wife syndrome. Uh, what is your experience with battered wife syndrome sometimes being mistaken with borderline personality disorder or histrionic personality disorder? Objection so, compound and leading. Overruled. Uh, so, battered wife syndrome, which is more sub-syndromal or not quite PTSD, has 70 symptoms of PTSD, and if you hear some of them, you'll see why someone might think that. Um, they do have reliving experiences as if feeling as if the abuse is happening, even if it's not by the, upon reminders of the, uh, upon reminders of abuse, such as getting ready to use something, getting ready to use a substance or something along the line. They do have hyperarousal, they do have hypervigilance, which is very easily mistaken for the emotional activity of borderline personality disorder. They do have avoidance symptoms, so they avoid emotions, uh, activities, people, and if that can't be happening, they start becoming much more anxious, much more hyperaroused. Um, they have inter disturbances in uh, relationships, which clearly can be an issue. Intimacy uh, problems, again, which could also resemble borderline personality disorder. So those description traits that were there, uh, A, did not meet the full criteria for borderline, and B, could very easily be explained by a bad Y syndrome, a form of PTSD. Thank you. Now, you also indicated earlier that you reviewed the deposition of Amy Banks, correct? Yes. And what, if any, uh, determinations did you make based on her deposition from her meetings with Mr. Depp and Ms. Hurd? So, uh, Dr. Banks is a professor who, uh, at Harvard, in the leading institution in America for medical schools, who is an expert on intimate partner violence. She had a chance to meet them in a relationship uh, counseling. Question, uh, you're on a non-responsive. It's not non-responsive. I said, what if anything did she find? Sustained. All right. Tell the jury about Amy Banks, the significance of Amy Banks. So if Ms. But, uh, Dr. Banks found that she fully believed uh, uh, Ms. Hurd's version of what was going on. Objection hearsay. I, I, re I reversed those. Let me, let me do it again. Please tell the jury. Please let me. Please tell the jury. What about the qualifications of Dr. Amy Banks? This is the one who saw both Ms. Oh. Hurd and Mr. Dow. Dr. Banks is a, uh, a professor at, uh, I don't know whether it's assistant associate professor at Harvard uh, University Medical School, one, if not one of the two top medical schools in the world, uh, who specialize in intimate partner violence. She is above all people who understand if someone is victim of perpetrator because she does this, researches this for a living every day. Uh, and that's, that's her qualifications. Can I say what you reported? Uh, then I'm going to ask you, what, if anything, did, did Dr. Banks indicate relating to histrionic personality disorder or borderline personality disorder for Ms. Hearn? Dr. Banks didn't mention anything about personality disorder at all. What she did mention was whom she felt gave a more accurate version of... Objection, Your Honor. What's the objection? That's a credibility 
testimony? I think he can testify to that. I'll sustain the objection. Next question. What, if anything, did Dr. Banks report, not saying what the ultimate conclusion was, what, if anything, did Dr. Banks say about what was reported to her by Ms. Hurd and Mr. Depp and how they responded? So Ms. Hurd discussed the, in trying to, again, as a victim, trying to save the relationship, discussed with Dr. Banks these accusations, these facts of intimate partner violence. Mr. Depp. Objection hearsay. I think he's entitled to rely on hearsay, and he's not given what ultimately was, he's entitled to it. That's fine. You can rely on hearsay, but you just can't state the hearsay. So you can rely on it. All right. What, if anything, did Mr. Depp do in response? Mr. Depp said nothing. When Ms. Hurd accused him of intimate partner violence, Mr. Depp said nothing. And what is the significance of that? Objection hearsay. I'll sustain the objection. All right. And what is the significance of that? The significance of that is with. Objection, no foundation. Sustain. Okay. All right. We'll move on. You were asked about MDMA and what the impact could potentially be of taking eight to ten of these pills. Do you recall? Yes. Okay. Now, I'm going to take you to Australia 2015. You've reviewed testimony over that, right, from Mr. Depp, Ms. Hurd, and the number. Yes. Okay. Do you recall that Ms. Hurd also said that she found dime bags of cocaine in drawers at the end of that three days? Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask you, Michelle, can you bring up 1828? It's already in evidence. And if we can publish that. Okay, we can. Thank you. I'm going to. This is one of the pictures that was taken in Australia, and the testimony has been that these two canvases of Ms. Hurd's were painted completely over. Is that something that could be the impact of having eight to ten tablets of MDMA and combining that with cocaine and alcohol? Objection, no foundation. Speculation. The foundation's already been laid, Your Honor. Sustained objection. Next question. Okay. What, if anything, if you look at the painted canvases on this one, what, if any, evidence is that reflecting behaviors indicative of taking a lot of MDMA, cocaine, and alcohol? Objection, speculation, no foundation. Sustained question. Sustained. You testified earlier about property, destruction of property. Do you recall that? Yes. Okay. Could you tell the jury how that relates to the correlating factors of risk factors for IPV? Again, destruction of property is a form of psychological abuse, psychological mistreatment. And so destruction of property is used as intimidation and as means of control. Okay. Michelle, can you bring up 1829? And this has already been admitted. Yes, thank you, Your Honor. And what, if any, evidence does this reflect as correlating behavior to risk factors of IPV? I would say that one that demonstrates a 
good deal of violence and psychological uh, 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 abuse. Uh, I, I think it's pretty clear that they're trying to be intimidating. I, I don't think. Um, objection, Your Honor. Yeah, for sure. Objection. It would be it, people who would misuse ecstasy with without coke, without cocaine, are prone to agitation, suspicion, jealousy, violence. Um, what we're seeing there would be very consistent with that presentation. Thank you, Michelle. Can you now bring up 1830, I guess? And that's already been admitted into evidence as well, Your Honor, I guess that it be published. And what, if any, evidence uh, does this uh, uh, correlate with behavior indicative of IPV perpetration? Again, this is intimidation, psychological abuse, where you're solely trying to emotionally... Objection, or can we be heard? Okay. Dr. Spiegel, if you, uh, if you can answer the question, what, if any, evidence is this correlating to the risk factors for IPV Again, I, I think the, the violence comes through. Objection, Your Just the evidence right. of risk factors. Right. If you can evidence of, I'm sorry, the evidence of risk factor would be uh, uh, accepting a more than average a degree of violence as well as psychological abuse. Okay. Uh, are you aware of any uh, record evidence of Ms. Heard writing on walls, mirrors, countertops, or painting canvases? No. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. You can take that down now. Now, you were also asked about Seroquel um, and uh, some of the other prescription medications. Um, did you, during the course of your review of evidence, see the lists of medications that Mr. Depp was on at one point? Yes, I read that list. Michelle, I'm going to ask you to bring up Defendant's Exhibit 301. And Dr. Spiegel, I'm, it's not in the evidence yet. I'm going to ask you to take a look at this. Is this one of the documents that you had that reflected uh, the amount of medication that Mr. Depp was on as of October 26, 2014. Yes. Okay. Um, and this was an email from Debbie Lloyd to Dr. Blaustein, his treating psychiatrist, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, can you tell the jury that, that we've got Seroquel, 50 mg? Can you Objection just tell hearsay. Can you just Is tell the jury? I, mean, I haven't finished asking the question yet. So, let's approach. Okay. Okay. Um, 
my mind is on. A lot of bots here talking fish. He's totally contradicted himself. What the fuck? Leave him alone. Great. Pick Amber. Leading, leading, leading. First, mega ice cream. <laughs> That's ice cream. Passed out. So he's got to see all of them at the same time. Thank you. So, Dr. Siegel, if someone was taking 50 mega, meg, I thought, is that meg, milligrams, milligrams of Seroquel, 25 milligrams of Seroquel, and 50 mil, milligrams of Seroquel and 50 all in one day, how would that impact them? So, obviously this is not for sleep, because um, presuming you're not wanting to sleep in the morning, noon, and from four to six, although you're sleeping at night. Uh, what I would say is he's using it for one purpose, as I say with substance use disorder, they're using it to calm down, they're using it just to sit down and relax. And given that you're taking 45 milligrams of Adderall a day, to stay awake, and um, that's more than the uh, prescribed for adults and children for that matter. Um, I, the combination makes very little sense at all to me. Uh, and if a person was taking 300 milligrams of Neurotin, I, I'm going to pronounce that wrong again, uh, four times a day and 600 later in the day, how would that impact? Again, you're looking at medications that are there solely for a substance use disorder patient to get them up and to calm them down. That's all this is. This regimen is about. Gabapentin uh, doesn't have a psychiatric indication other than actually doesn't have a psychiatric indication, although it does calm me down. And it, uh, as I've mentioned to many before, similar Adderall, Gabapentin uh, uh, is also abusable. Similar quetiapine, Seroquel is also feasible. So you're getting these kind of unusually calming effects from these medicines while at the same time getting what's called a super therapeutic dose or an excessive amount of Adderall. And for the record, both adults are only indicated with Adderall for the extended release, not the immediate release preparation. And why that's relevant is the immediate release preparation is more abusable. You get more high quicker. The extended release goes out throughout the day, the immediate release gets you up right away and then down. Now, in ADHD, this medicine is very effective. From what this is being used for, clearly based on the combination, uh, no. All right. Do addicts lie? Yes. All right. Now, you were asked about Mr. Depp passing out. Do you recall reading testimony of Mr. Depp passing out in the bathroom in his vomit? Yes. Okay. Was that Does that help refresh your recollection of yes. what you recall? I don't, I mean, for the record, book, I don't think that falling asleep with ice cream on you is a... Objection beyond the scope of the question. Oh. Keep going. I don't think taking Seroquel at night and falling asleep with ice cream on you is not what Seroquel is indicating. It's not meant to put you out in a state where you don't even be able to stay awake 
to put ice cream away. All right. Michelle, if you can pull up Defendant's 1090. I bet she put the ice cream there. It's already in the evidence. If we can publish that to the directory, Your Honor. Scamber Dr. Turns. Spiegel, uh, does this look like, uh, I mean, would this be evidence correlating with behaviors consistent with IPV perpetrator risk factors? This would be correlating a person who is completely knocked out and it's usually only one way someone gets knocked out that badly and that's with pharmacological assistance whether it be illegal or illegal. They make it to the bed, they don't sleep with their head on a game box in a furniture. That, that doesn't happen to people who sleep, no matter how tired you are. I have to, I've been a resident in the past, and I, I was up for 40, 45 hours. Objection beyond the scope. It's just explained, sustained. All right. Uh, Michelle, can you pull up 1095, please? And I'm, this has been, I'm going to ask you the same question, Dr. Spiegel. What, if anything, does this okay, indicate relating to risk factors for IPV perpetrators? Again, you know, okay, colloquially passed out, and there's She's a lousy few attorney. ways to get like that. Hope this is relevant. Who cares? I like her and hair. Or illegal. And I don't illegal. know this lady. Relevance, blah, blah, blah. We don't care. <laughs> Defense, and that's also been admitted. Why is this witness here? We don't care. And now we have the ice cream picture. And what, if any, indication does this? Probably see how I feel. Objection. Speculation. No foundation. What, if any, correlation? What, if any, evidence does this indicate correlative with the risk factors for IPV? Again, Objection. Move to strike. We'll just move on. You were asked about earpieces. Did you? Do you recall reviewing Tracy Jacobs and Joel Mandel's? Depositions? Yes. Okay, right. And do you recall them okay. both testifying that Mr. Depp had someone on right. salary okay, to feed him his lines? Yes. Boring. Okay. Now, no you've testified that you reviewed a substantial Sweet amount Jesus of evidence in this ends. case. Did you She's find any Olympics. evidence that Amber Heard exhibited conduct or behaviors indicative or consistent with any of the risk factors for perpetrators judge, of IPV? Uh, Objection beyond the scope. Well, it was suggested with the borderline personality. Okay. But you did find no that for Mr. Depp, correct? Yes. Okay. And did you find record evidence that Mr. Depp judge. had a substance abuse disorder? Severe substance use disorder. Throw out. Did any of the questions asked by Mr. Depp's counsel change any of your opinions in this case? Did they, nothing. No, not, my opinion has not been swayed in iota. Okay. Do you hold them all still within a reasonable degree of medical and psychiatric probability or certainty? Absolutely, yes. Thank you very much, Dr. Spiegel. All right. Thank you. Sir, you can have a seat in the courtroom or you're free to go. Thank you. All right. Your next witness. Really My next witness is Catherine the Arnold. defamation Catherine. trial. He can handle. 
is drinking drugs. He hung out with Hunter S. Thompson. Okay, what a definition child. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Thank you. Will you please state your name for the record? Okay, I said, Catherine why not Judge Smith's talk of J.D. Sabbath and irrelevant what is your to profession? the defamation trial? He can handle I am his a entertainment industry consultant. He hung out with Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, next well. witness. Okay. And can you please tell the jury your educational background? Yes. So, I was in the, I've been in the entertainment industry for over 20 plus years. I started uh, as an assistant at ICM, which is one of the largest talent agencies in Los Angeles that represents actors, writers, and directors. And I worked with the talent agent there. And then I also worked at William Morris, uh, for William Morris, as a script reader. So I was working on scripts that they were delivered uh, and submitted to for their actors, writers, and directors. Uh, after that, I went into development of film and television projects for a company based in New York called The Maltese Company, which actually produced animated television shows and feature films based on Wall Street, you know, animated product, you know, like toys. And then I went to work uh, with a company called The Goober Peters Company, and Goober Peters was, at the time, one of the largest production companies in Los Angeles. They did films like Batman and Rain Man and Tango and Cash, TV shows like Witches of Eastwick, and there I was involved in the development of scripts. We worked with the studio directly in terms of what cast would be attached to the scripts and, and brought directors and talent to those projects. Uh, I then went on to uh, work in, um, that's a lot, uh, I went on to work uh, in the independent film world as a film producer. So I found the material, I would get the financing, I would get the cast and the director attached to the project, we call that packaging, and then we would go and, and obtain financing for that either through equity sources or international sales and financing and bank financing. And then I also uh, went on after that, I produced um, five or six films with actors that you may know, including Salma Hayek, Vincent D'Onofrio, Kirstie Alley, Thomas Jane, Ethan Hawke, and then I worked with a international sales and production company where I was the head of production and I worked again on the development of scripts and the uh, procurement of financing. So I worked in both the independent world and the studio world, meaning independently financed or financed by the big studios like Warner Brothers and Disney and Paramount and such as that. Uh, that's it, and that's the bulk of my work in the entertainment industry. Did any of your films win awards? A couple of them did. So a couple of the independent films that I uh, produced, one of them won, uh, called The Coriolis Effect, won the Venice Film Festival in its category. Uh, and then I also produced another film that won the Heartland Film uh, Festival Award. It's called the Crystal Award. Right. And what other video production projects have you been involved in? So throughout that time, in between those jobs, I also worked in the corporate world. So large studios like Warner Brothers and Disney and CBS would need corporate videos for their live events. So I would interview executives and interview their talent, 
and then edit the piece together to create video and media for their live sales conferences that they had at that time. Uh, and then they also produced some commercials. All right. And what, if any, experience did you have in corporate relations and licensing? So early on in my career, I worked at the uh, Los Angeles Olympic Organizing Committee, and I worked in the licensing department um, where we handled the licensing of the Olympic logo, and we also worked with sponsors and suppliers who were funding those Olympic Games. So it was a lot of contractual negotiations with the use of the license of the logo, as well as raising money for the Games and working with those uh, corporate sponsors throughout the two years pre prior to the Games and then during the Games themselves. And what kind of experience do you have working on film Get festivals? The points. Uh, well, I've had films in festivals. I've actually been very lucky to travel the world and gone to a lot of festivals with my films, uh, both here in the United States and elsewhere. And at one point, I was also hired to raise sponsorship funds for the Sundance Film Sundance uh, Film Festival. They had a new program that they were uh, starting Crazy to support, do online crazies. festivals, and so I raised about half a million dollars for them in about a month. All right, and. Do you have a, a degree is a Amber degree? dressed like Colonel Sanders? Yes, I graduated from UCLA with a, a bachelor's degree in economics. What does your current consulting practice entail? So as an entertainment consultant, having been in the business in both the independent and the studio worlds as both a producer and an executive, I work with uh, investment companies and production companies who are looking to navigate the various inroads of Hollywood. It's a pre- uh, as a business is very different and unlike anything else and very relationship-based. So I use my 20 years of experience to help them get cast, get financing, understand the distribution what process, stories, marketing who is process, this? and get them set All up rumor and hearsay. Uh, to be able to Shit, Amber. Films. Have you ever testified as an expert witness in the field of entertainment industry? Yes. Approximately how many times have you served as an expert? Uh, I've been involved in somewhere between 85 and 100 cases as an expert. The dog's definitely on bees. Amber, psycho star. No, let's see the charts. Amber is too much fun. Objection yes, hearsay. Yes, the crazy baking horse. And defamation. Justice yes. for Johnny I Depp. Day one. Let's see the red hearts. Okay. Hearsay. When he married yes. Amber okay. Boring, Amber Psycho's there. Justice for Johnny. How come mine is on damage, slow mode, uh, but everybody else can write as damage, much as they want? The case. Spam so the comments. The cases, Rocket Man, Aquaman. Aquaman. Who cares? Objection. Yes, I have. How much of your current practice involves consulting as opposed to serving as an expert witness? Rubbish. So over the last 10 or 12 years, it's been about 50-50, so I spent half late to work, justice for Amber canceled the cougar. Where's Camille? Stop staring the jury down. Greenhearts. She views him so bad. Thank you. Now, you have a dual role here as an expert, correct? Bad look, LOL, Alan. Yes. Now, you're, you're going to be testifying Hi, with Megan. respect to Mr. 
Depp's challenges to or, or claims of uh, damages, and you're also going to be testifying to Amber Heard's damages, correct? Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to start you with Mr. Depp's claims for damages, okay? Like it's a game With show. respect to Mr. Depp's claim damages, on what subject have you been asked to offer your opinion? So I was asked to assess the any alleged damages that the op-ed piece in the Washington Post that Ms. Heard wrote whether that has impacted his career in any way, particularly did he lose any income or any economic opportunities because of the op-ed piece specifically. All right. And have you been asked to limit that to the period of December 18, 2018, with the date of the op-ed, through November 2, 2020? Yes. Okay. Now, what materials did you review in making your analysis? There were a lot of documents. Uh, I reviewed the pleadings of the case, the complaints, the discovery items, the responses to what they call interrogatories, which are the questions that the lawyers ask uh, both sides. I reviewed uh, Mr. Depp's tes uh, deposition testimony, which there were volumes of that, as well as Ms. Hurd's. Uh, I also reviewed the deposition testimony of, of the experts that uh, were proffered that had to do with the entertainment industry, you know, the agents and the management teams of both, both sides, uh, Ron Schnell, the data expert. I also reviewed emails and texts between the parties, between their families, between their management teams, the audio uh, recordings, the visual recordings that have been presented in this case and the previous cases that have been involved Old in the last couple of years. Uh, I also did my own independent research from general publicity and press and investigative articles as well as those that are specific to the entertainment industry and utilize some entertainment industry specific sources to get some information that was helpful to my case to our to that case thank you Ms. Arnold. please describe for the jury your uh, uh, observations with respect to mr depp's career trajectory well, Mr. Mr. Depp has had an extraordinary career over many years, so it's it's a, it's a long one to look at. Um, obviously, he was a rising star in the late '80s and in the '90s, starting with 21 Jump Street, and you've heard you know all the films that I'm sure he's been in. Um, he he really started to break through when he worked with Tim Burton, the director, and and of course his character Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean was you know world renowned. And probably um, his biggest role, and he was, a, you know, a well-liked, um, both critically and uh, within the industry and within the public, as a movie star. Um, and at the same time, his behavior, and uh, both on and off the set, in his personal life and in his professional life, start to interfere yeah, with. What we would say, what everybody saw, which is a great challenge, and it started. You know, there's some stories of, of, of issues that started back in the 80s and the 90s, but I would say really Amber, in the mid 2000s, between 2006 and, and 10, is when the behavior started affecting uh, his work to a certain extent in terms of lateness on set, uh, and then as Miss Jacobs, his talent agent, discussed with you uh, in her deposition. Uh, it really started to affect her ability to get roles and, and the industry's willingness to work with him given the issues that he was having with both 
behavior, tardiness, drinks, drinking, and the drug abuse, uh, and you know, other issues in his personal life. So it got more complicated for her to find him work, and I think it got harder for production companies and studios to hire him due to the challenges that that would put on a production. And when did Mr. Depp's career downturn begin, based on your review of all the record evidence? Well, again, according to Ms. Jacobs, his agent, she mentioned that it started getting more challenging for her around 2010. The lateness on set was being made, she was being made aware of that more and more often from production executives and the producers that she was working with on the Pirates movie. And not only Pirates, it continued on um, on the other films, including Mordecai and uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, and in around 2014, when he had the appearance, uh, it was presumed that he was under the effects of alcohol at the Hollywood Film Awards in 2014. Objection, Your Honor. Non-responsive. Just answering the career downturn of the rule. Please continue. Thank you. Um, in 2014, uh, when Mr. Depp appeared in the Hollywood Film Awards, Ms. Jacobs received many phone calls from both producers, casting directors, and production executives asking her what is going on with your client, why, you know, what's going on with his behavior, can we get him under control? And then I think it really started to shift around the Pirates 5 movie in Australia with, again, the lateness and the uh, issues uh, with the finger that stopped production and, and things of that nature, and then it just it got harder and harder. Now, based on your analysis, what has caused Mr. Depp's career downturn? Objection. No foundation. Can you please repeat the question? Based on your analysis, what has caused Mr. Depp's career downturn? And I realize you've said a number of those, so just, is there anything else? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, we've talked about the erratic behavior, the tardiness, the drugs and alcohol abuse, and the lawsuits have had a really big impact, not just this lawsuit, but previous lawsuits that Mr. Depp has been involved with because there's a lot of publicity around anything that he does. And uh, every time he has filed a lawsuit, it has brought to light various issues with respect to whatever that lawsuit was about, whether it was about, you know, erratic behavior or domestic abuse or drugs and alcohol and even spending habits. So every time a lawsuit has been filed, the press and the publicity so has just been charged up and brought everything back to light. And it's, it, it's been an unfortunate problem for, for on that level for the industry to continue to work with him, even though all this is out in the, in the public. For the films that were shortly before Pirates 5, how successful were they? the, the uh, bogus restraining order and uh, fabricated it, you know, photoshopped uh, some bruises and, and um, filed a, a restraining order. I'm talking Mordecai. Uh, Alice through the Looking Glass. Uh, uh, you, you testified to some of those. The, the Lone Ranger, Tonto. Right. Objection compound. Restraining order. Uh, of course, Mr. Depp has had some extremely, obviously, extremely successful films, but also in the, you know, the 
four or five years and prior, and kids. you know, through pirates, there were films that didn't do well at all and were considered what the industry calls a bomb, which could have been uh, Alice in the Looking Glass, The Transcendence, um, the, the Lone Ranger, uh, and Mordecai were films that just didn't perform, well, although they were valued in their financing based on Mr. Depp's star quality and acting ability. Unfortunately, they just didn't Justice perform. So Lane. as many hits as he's had, he's also Justice had a lot of recent what they call failures Junction. in the business. And what, if anything, Judge did Mr. Ford. Depp do with respect to showing up for a press conference in Japan for Mordecai? Uh, Ms. Jacobs mentioned in her deposition testimony that Mr. Depp didn't show up for the press conference in Mordecai, which he was not only an actor for, he was also a producer, and he didn't show up, apparently he was sleeping, so he wasn't able to make it. Objection, boring, now, and irrelevant. What, if any, uh, impact did the Brooks litigation have on Mr. Depp's career? Johnny. Is the jury familiar with this already, or...? Uh, well, I, I think you can, I mean, okay. So the Brooks litigation was, uh, it was, um, my. there was a leg. litigation around uh, Mr. Depp had punched someone on one of the, I think it was the location manager, on the set of the film called City of Lies. Um, I, I don't know exactly what happened to that uh, litigation. However, of course, again, it was written a lot about in the press and unfortunately came to the forefront that he had, you know, violent behavior yet again. So in 2018, and I'm going to say before the op-ed on December 18, 2018, was, it, was there any negative articles, negative press about Mr. Depp? For, For quite a while, when you're a celebrity such as Mr. Depp, you're in the limelight and everybody wants to look at everything that happens. So after every movie or after every incident, there was usually press. But the, the, the ones that were more significant were the ones in the, uh, a couple of them in, in the Hollywood Reporter and uh, one in the Rolling Stone. So in 2017, there was an article in the Hollywood Reporter where the journalist discussed, I think the article was called Pirates of the Caribbean, the diminishing returns of Johnny Depp. What? And that Pirates, the one was the last one was five, right? He and made that it. one Nobody will didn't go perform see nearly as well as the other previous uh, Pirates of the Caribbean films. And there was some discussion that the character... Objection, here, so your honor. I think you could explain generally. Okay. Um, let me let me ask you this: When was that Hollywood Reporter article on diminishing returns of Johnny Depp? That was in the spring of 2017. Okay, and you said, uh, and I just want to make sure we understand: How well did Pirates Five do compared to one through four? It performed less well by over 200 million dollars. Okay. Um, uh, what if any other negative press was there in this time frame, we'll take 2017, 2018, before okay, the Okay, I asked Johnny. So in 2018, Please. there was the Rolling Stones article that was an in-depth explanation of Mr. Depp's life. Um, again, his erratic behavior, the money he was send, spending on... Send my um, link to your 17 million followers on Instagram for a move-on petition to indict Trump and expel GOP for insurrection. When you get a chance, please sign and share. What, if any, knowledge do you have of how, whether Disney saw the Rolling Stone article? There were emails uh, between uh, the publicity department and the co-chairs and some of the senior executives at Disney that they would forward the articles as they came out, both the Hollywood Reporter article 
and the uh, Rolling Stones article, and they would make commentary. And Alan Horn, who was the uh, one of the co-chairs at Disney, used the word sad, and I think one of the other executives used depressing that their film star was now being shown in this light to the public in a Rolling Stones. Action hearsay. There was an article in October 28th, uh, the Hollywood Reporter, October 28th, 2018, where the journalist had spoken to two writers of the film, and they were talking Objection about hearsay. the franchise. She, she, she's entitled to rely on hearsay, and she's just given the general she's not I asked John to, um, to, to, to his, I asked John to send my move on petition link, move on petition to his millions of followers. This petition calls to indict Trump and expel GOP for insurrection. When you get a chance, please sign and share. Okay, that's 200, 20 characters. Okay. Uh -oh. oh, there it goes. I asked great. That's awesome. Okay, wait. Mm. There. So without saying what the article said, say what it's about. Okay. So in October 28th, the article was, it was called, uh, the article was about whether the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise would be rebooted without, oh, please continue. The part where in the article in October 2018 was about whether or not the Pirates franchise was going to be what they call reboot, re, you know, redefined without Johnny Depp. And that was in the, regarding two writers that were on the, the project. Um, and there was one other I'm one. Go to okay, other ahead, live so there was another article. Uh, there was an expose on uh, the president of production. It was also in the Hollywood Reporter. And this is the one that Mr. Marks, Mr. Depp's expert, pointed to. New York Post. Um, regarding the op-ed's impact on, on Mr. Depp's career. And the online article was, as Mr. Marks pointed out, published on December 20th of 2018, but the same article was in print on the morning of December 18th, 2018, which is the same morning of the op-ed. So that Polly Reporter article that Mr. Mark used to say... Objection, no foundation. Please continue. The, uh, Mr. Marks had used that article to show that Disney wanted to let go of Mr. Depp because of the op-ed, but it was actually printed in the reporter the same morning that the Washington Post article was printed. So there's no way that the Washington Post article had any impact on what the Hollywood Reporter journalist wrote. They were on the same morning. They were released simultaneously, interestingly enough. 
And, and the one that was two days later was the same article just online? Same article, just online, yeah. Okay. Just now, online. what, if anything, was there about press in 2018 relating to The Sun and Dan Wooten and any litigation that right. Mr. Depp so, over you? So, a lot of press was about the UK trial in the lawsuit that Mr. Depp brought against The, uh, the Sun in the UK about the wife beater um, title that they used. So, there was a ton of press around that, both at the time that it was filed and throughout as documents were being shared with the public, and then, of course, during the trial itself. Okay. And what is your understanding of when the the article, the wife beater article, first appeared? I believe it was in July of 2018, about six months before the op-ed piece. And what is your understanding of when Mr. Depp filed suit against the son and Mr. Wooten? Again, in 2018, I believe. Okay. June, would it be? Okay. Would, would, it refresh, would it refresh your It was in the spring or summer. Of, it was fairly shortly after the article, so it was long before the op-ed piece was out. Okay. Um, and what, if any, impact did Mr. Depp's litigation in the Sun case have on his career? That was a really tough one on, on Mr. Depp's career because everything, every allegation of abuse and every text, every email, all the audio, all the visual stuff was brought to light and made public. And so not only did the public get, get to see it, but the industry was watching closely, and it's hard for studios, especially a studio like Disney, extremely interested <laughs> to be connected to a star that has texts about burnt corpses and violent behavior in, in, in video. So it was, a, it was a, a big conflict for a lot of the people in the industry to how to navigate that if they're going to work with the star. And what, if any, impacted Mr. Depp's other litigation against Mandel and Bloom during that time period? As I was trying to say earlier, every time Mr. Depp brings a lawsuit, because he's such a well-known public figure, the spotlight goes on him. So every time a lawsuit was filed, whether it was to his business, against his business manager, against his former lawyer, even when he fired his talent agent, it becomes news. And then everybody talks about what could have preceded that. Why? would that lawsuit have happened? And then they look at the details. So again, the erratic behavior and the financial issues and the uh, drinking and drug abuse was all part and parcel of every one of those. And it was brought to light yet again each time. What is your understanding of Mr. Depp's claims regarding Pirates of the Caribbean 6 and how that impacted? Well, Mr. Depp is claiming that he's lost money on Pirate 6, but Pirate 6 hasn't even been made yet, nor is there even a script that has been what we call greenlit, moved towards production. Which they so came I don't to know him, how you lose something too, that so happened. I told, so, I I told Johnny. And in fact, since Mr. Depp's damages are limited November 2, 2020, and since, and that hasn't happened, Start your uh, own is there any film. way you could claim damages for Pirate 6? Objection leading. Again, you can't claim damages for something that hasn't even happened, whether he was in it or not in it, or was going to be in it, or might have been in it, whether it was 2018 or now. There just is no Pirate 6. Um, not only did he not have a contract, even back in the day, 2018 or after that, no contract had been signed for a Pirate 6. It doesn't exist as we... Objection, as we legal conclusion. I, I, just being the last part. How, how do you 
even though he doesn't have I told Johnny, contract. start your own film house. Pirates well, execs asked Jacob him said to write a script for Pirates 6. Said I said, my love, he had not yet negotiated start a your own franchise. Uh, and again, there is no script, so they haven't greenlit it. As we say, they don't have it, have it cast with the director yet. Okay. Um, right. Based on your analysis, what if any Act. impact did Ms. Ferg uh, Ed have on whether Mr. Depp uh, could claim a loss for Pirate 6? Zero. Right. Okay. And why do you say that? Again, well, Film it on your islands. doesn't exist yet, so that's one. But even as important is that Disney, in their file for this trial, did not have the op-ed piece as part of all of the information they had read and looked about and discussed. The uh, conversations of Mr. Depp not being in whatever new version of Pirates the, the franchise goes forward, those were in discussions long before the op-ed piece even came out. And uh, there are other factors that Disney was considering, the lateness on set, the cost overruns at that cost, which can go from hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars when you have crews sitting around for two to four hours, eight hours, or even several weeks to a month when the finger incident happened. So on top of that, Mr. Depp is an expensive actor. Um, he can earn between 20 and $25 million per movie plus back end. So it's very expensive. So when you put that all together, the rising cost of Mr. Jeff's talent, the challenges that they had to keep it on budget because of his lateness and his tardiness, and all the other allegations that would affect the brand. Says, I told Johnny, start your own film house. Pirates execs asked him to write script for Pirate 6. I said, my love, start your own franchise. Write, act, direct, produce, film it on your islands. Thanks for the love, by the way. There was a lot of conversation. Millions of people. And these comment sections are overwhelmingly Johnny supporters. All right. Um, please, please continue without saying what the discussion in the industry was. The Jack Sparrow character had been exhausted in terms of where it could go creatively, and I think the studio is looking for. Human a way for it to Disney employees among 108 arrested in Florida human trafficking ring. Wow. And evidenced by the, 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 the left turds, uh, black turds, bots. Uh, That's uh, a Karen. What's going on? That, what's going and, on? And was there any article that came out on November 5, 2020, three days after the damages are cut off, relating to Pirates of the Caribbean and Mr. Depp's chances of being Jack Sparrow? I think they reiterated the fact that he was probably not going to be in the movie. Now, what impact has the op-ed had on Mr. Depp's career? Very little. Hardly anybody even knew the op-ed existed before he filed suit. If anybody that I know, but certainly not Disney. And um, what impact has the op-ed had on Mr. Depp's Q scores? According to what I read of, of Mr. Alan Jacobs, an expert in uh, statistical analysis, and from my own research uh, on websites that are available to us, Mr. Depp's Q score, or if you're familiar with IMDb, which is uh, 
Internet Movie Database, which is available to public and to the professional side, uh, his Q-score did not change uh, uh, dramatically. It was kind of in the middle of exactly the high and low of his Q-scores overall. It was in the middle. It was at like 113, which is where it was a couple weeks before and a couple weeks after. So the op-ed didn't have any effect uh, on his Q-score, and that was reiterated by Mr. Jacobson's deposition testimony. And then you testified in response to an earlier question I had that that people or that nobody seemed to notice the op-ed until Mr. Depp filed suit. Now that was on March 1, 2019. Do you recall? Yes, that's when okay. the lawsuit was filed. And why do you why do you say that they didn't notice until then? Because the op-ed piece for most people in the industry kind of came and went without much fanfare or not much conversation. It was much more about the, the I don't think very many people even know it was written uh, until the allegations were made by Mr. Depp in the lawsuit. Uh, it kind of came in and out of the radar very quickly if anybody even saw it at all. All right. Between December 18, 2018 and November 2020, November 2, 2020, window here. Has Mr. Depp continued to star in films? So Mr. Depp, so the article came, the op-ed piece came out December 2018 yeah, and 20, 2000. We're back. They're taking a break. Somebody just wrote hose bag in the comments. Who is she? Amber is so pretty. That's all you can say. Amber loves the attention. Narcissist witch. Wipe that. Constantly object, why not? Johnny Depp is cast or power cast. Where are these old bats? All opinion. Who is this lady? Judge, are you okay? What or who? Her. It's going too fast. I can't read. I believe Amber Hearsay. She was a nobody. Dark Knight is the highest DC floater. Mother. Why do you say that? Well, again, she's no role model. Bringing to light the issues. You know, I think it's like the lesbians that. The hardcore lesbians and maybe maybe um, victims of abuse who can't conceive who can't conceive that um, this woman just made it up out of spite, you know. It's kind of sad, misguided. I can't really blame. I mean. Sure you can, you can blame them. Well, they're victims too. So she that's why she must be outed as the fraud that she is. Because she used the Me Too movement to um, get behind her and press those claims. Those disastrous, libelous, reprehensible, um, defamatory remarks. That she posted in the Washington Post. I mean, she went out of her way get to destroy his career. Amber Turd, Scamber Turd, went out of her way to destroy his career. Quote me on that.
put out by Mr. Epstein. So, in actuality, his housing is undermined by bringing these lawsuits forward and Skinnerberg Turd went out of her way to destroy the career of our hero, J.D. She must be exposed for the liar and fraud and abuser Scamber really is. Me too. Get behind Johnny. Men can be victimized by women too. I talked to Ms. Hurd herself to get a first-person okay. accounting of what happened from her perspective after those defamatory statements were made, and then Scamber I did. Scamber turned. Uh, emails back and forth and text back and forth okay. with uh, Expedia, Warner Brothers, and other producers. And right. Now, before I go into the questions that I'm going to ask, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of define this so that we're all on the same page going forward. The, the jury has seen the three defamatory statements for defendants 1245, 1246, and 1247. Um, and I'm just going to refer to them as the depth slash Waldman statements in asking you all these questions. Will you understand what I'm talking about? Yes. Scamber turds. Um, Please describe Amber Heard's career prior to the publication of the Jeff Walton statement. So Amber's had uh, a long career for someone who is not, you know, is fairly young still. She was in over 50 productions, uh, in, I believe including Optimum's. Let's just say Amber's not innocent in I this from what I've watched. Both have fault, but she should not win. Can't she watch Pineapple Express anymore because I found the other day she was briefly in it. Actors' careers. Her agents were strategic as she started getting more work, but they wanted her to work. She with had more work. He got no work. Danish, the Danish Girl is a, a film that had a, a strong director and a strong uh, critical. And then she went from that to getting Justice League, which is on the bigger budget, it's a bigger scale movie, and then of course Aquaman and Aquaman 2. So her career was following a very like nice this is steady the best rise. Role. And she was on the precipice of a meteoric rise with the you know with Aquaman and Aquaman 2 prior to the statements. Was Aquaman a successful film in terms of box office sales? Trying to uh, dress like a Kentucky gentleman. It made over a billion dollars, and I believe it is the highest grossing DC comic film ever. Now, 
what, if any, accolades did Amber receive for her role in Aquaman? And I'm going to call it, sometimes I'll call it Aquaman 1 just to make sure we don't get confused. Right. So in Aquaman 1, there were many emails from the director and the producer. And Objection the hearsay. She's just characterizing your honor. She's not quoting them. She abused Johnny. That's why. Deal with we'll, it. That's we'll, what we'll, it's called. Thank you. Because she's the abuser. Uh, she got emails from the director and the producer we just cross-examined already we know you can't say what the negativity say, but you can summarize them outside research and you do that what happened email. emails of accolade from her uh, from the director and the producer thank you okay great news um, everybody what type of press opportunities did amber have prior to the Depp baldwin statements so the, the press really Scammer loved working turds. with Amber. She was on the cover of many magazines after The Danish Girl, after Justice League, after Aquaman. She was the cover girl, I think it was, of um, Marie Claire L in, in the UK. She had a cover story of a big magazine in Mexico and Australia. They were, you know, some magazines. One magazine called her Woman of the Year. Another one called her Role Model of the Year. So she got a lot of press. You know, she did a lot of press, both in magazines, but also on the press tours and the press junkets that she did for the film. And, and were some of those California-style, Marie Claire, L uh, shape? Glamour? Yeah, there was a lot Objection of them. leading. And there was a lot of them, so I, I mean, I you know, don't remember all of them, but it was, you know, GQ, L, Marie Claire, you know, the big magazines, both here in the UK, um, East Europe, Eastern Europe, in Latin America, and in Australia. And what about after the release of Aquaman, which was December 2018? How was her press then? Well, the press tour was doing well, and they wanted to give her a lot more press. And I think up until the defamatory statements came out, she was on deck to do a lot of press. Uh, and then it, it Objection, kind of, no foundation. Please continue. So the press and the request for press went silent after the defamatory statements were made, and which then the negative social media campaign and sued Great news, that. everybody. Scamber Turd got nicks no. from Aquaman. What Not because she's an abuser, but from lack of chemistry with Momoa. Thanks for the love of three million plus who signed up on petition to remove turds. Social media becomes a big part of how studios decide to use an actor and actress in a film because they want to know how the general public feels about them. They want to know what the consumer feels about that actor. So when yeah, we fucking hate her. Media, that's a good thing. But yeah, so when there's negative social media, it can be very bad because not yeah, only we'll can social media be directed at the actor or the actress themselves, but it can also be directed towards the movie, towards the movie company, yeah. towards the product that the actor or actress is working with. So it becomes very complicated it's called the and it becomes very messy <laughs> to continue working with an actor or an actress if there's a lot of negative social media around them. And after the Depp Waldman statements, what happened on social media? After the Depp Waldman statements, social media blew up with negative tweets and Instagram posts and you know Facebook posts and Snapchat and trolling, as we call it. It was just negative. Uh, according to Mr. Schnell, there was over 1.2 million negative tweets about Hambert using hashtags that used the words in the statement of the Depp Wald statements. Uh, Jeff Waldman thing, excuse me, um, that 1.2 million negative statements between April of 
2020 in November or January of 21. It's a lot of negative publicity, and it, and there was just a lot of what we call noise around um, Ms. Heard and her work of any kind. Can you please describe to the jury what negative, what a negative social campaign is? So, a negative social campaign would be when a a fan base, or in this case, according to both the forensic statistical analyst as well as Ms. Hurd's agents and pro uh, the product that she's working with Royale and her publicist, is a campaign that included both live uh, accounts. I put, you know, people that than the bots, please describe the rest of the social media, the negative social media campaign. The fan base was very energized by Mr. Is it the Depwaldman? Yeah, let me, let me just The Depwaldman? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I, I got my brain right now. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Why don't I do this? Let me formulate a different question. How has the negative social media campaign been used against Amber Heard? What do you expect? It's the modern campaign. world, motherfuckers. So the negative campaign has been used both to, you know, let's fire Amber off of Aquaman, to the product that she was, had an endorsement contract with with L'Oreal, the makeup, and every time that L'Oreal mentioned Amber Heard just like a Kentucky together, gentleman, they would get harassed. Her publicist company was harassed. Uh, any kind of movie that she was That's related what to, a television project that she was related to, That's got negative attention gets. from the social media world. Even the uh, the charities that she was involved with were getting hammered, if you will, or bombarded by negative yeah. social media, which made it difficult to work with Amber on any level because negativity was brought to their product, service, or uh, film. Uh, yeah, it was boycott. It's called a boycott. Yeah. Is that negative social media campaign ongoing to this day? Yes. Okay. And you were talking a little bit before, I think, about uh, remove Amber Heard from Aquaman 2. What were your observations with respect to that in connection to the Waldman depth, the Depp Waldman statements? Again, the, the, the statements, uh, I'm sorry, the social media campaign, whether it's called, you know, remove Amber from Aquaman or, you know, neg negativity for her relationship in that film, it always tended to use words that were inside the defamatory statements. They became hashtags, right? So, you know, if it was said in, this, in, the, in the defamatory statement, they were often reiterated in the tweets and the posts. How difficult is it for an actor to repair this type of negative social media? Well, first of all, it has to stop. Okay, so once it stops, then an actor and their team 
can work slowly and patiently in both, maybe it's presage reviews, maybe it's relationship with charity, maybe it's a small role in a movie and they do well and they, they kind of rebuild their career, but it could take two, three, four, five years or more to rehabilitate your career, but first and foremost, it needs to stop. You know, it, it just needs to stop so that they can, the, the consumer can get beyond it and then they can reactivate their career by doing their work again. Describe Amber Heard's reputation after the Hopefully this will be Mr. Well, the reputation, I guess, role. depends on Maybe she, who, who you're talking she to, can play but Cruella. in the public, it's been very negative. Um, in the industry, mm -hmm. they like her work, but it's very, they can't work with her right now, again, because every time her name is mentioned, the negativity flares up again. So yeah, we fucking hate her. sense for them to try to make a movie, which costs millions of dollars, and then have a lot of negativity towards the film or the she, TV show or the product. The so her world has been silent or in terms witch. of opportunities, and even things that, that she wanted to work on are no longer available to her. Has Amber been able to obtain roles after the Deb Waldman statements? For a long time, no. Very recently, she was able to do a small independent film. TV. Um, from some people out of, um, who get their financing out of Europe. Uh, but up until that, DB. no, she it's has called not called the boycott. LOL, good job getting her removed from Aquaman too, no. everybody. Hopefully this will be Based Mr. Turd's last major Amber role. came out of Aquaman. In this court case, it's called boycott. Good job getting her, her removed from Aquaman 2, everybody. Hopefully this will be Miss Church's last major role. Maybe she could play Cruella or a witch. Okay. Um, I told JD. I told JD. Okay. It's called a boycott. Good job getting a remit from Aquaman too, everybody. Hopefully this will be Miss Church's last major role. Maybe she could play Cruella or a witch. I told JD charge her with DV. Smiley face. She can play Cruella. I can charge her with DV. Now that would be fun. 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 <laughs> now that would be lots of fun. Charge her with DB. She wants a fucking media circus. Let's let's have at it. This is fun. Um, okay. Fun. It's called the boycott. All right.
Hey. They call me the Karen. What should her opportunity, what would you have expected following the release of Aquaman December 2018 uh, up to what's going on now? I like to call Aquaman really, you know, Amber Heard's star, star is born moment. It was that moment where not only was she a good actor, but she was now world renowned because she was in the most successful film almost of all time, if not all time, and certainly for DC Comics. She was on the poster with the very handsome Jason Momoa, and they were this couple, and she was strong and beautiful, and it was just this extraordinary moment for her to, for her to career to take off, right? Uh -huh. You know, her agents were excited, yeah, the producers were excited. Uh, everybody she just wanted to herself. hit the ground running, and let's do more. Let's do more work. What if anything oh, happened to Amber's participation in Aquaman 2? Filing false reports. So for a moment in time, in February Amber. 2021, Amber. Uh, there were conversations that Amber's, I'm going to be technical with you, her option for employment was not going to be exercised. So they may not have hired her again, even though she had a contract for it. There was some question as to whether she was going to be hired again on Aquaman 2. All right. And did ultimately then she still get hired for Aquaman 2? She did. Her management team fought very hard and they ultimately uh, ended up hiring her. But also not only because of what her management team did, but Jason Momoa, the star, and James Wan, the director, committed to her in an email saying, if we are involved in this movie, you Objection, no foundation, hearsay. No sustained Don't say what the email said, just summarize it or describe it. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to understand this world. Um, so, her management team worked hard, and Jason Momoa and the director were adamant that she was in the Objection film. Objection here, sir. Worked hard. I think that's, 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 that's Your Honor, she has to be able yeah, to. Yeah, she must have blown her sustain as the hearsay. Right. So, what if any uh, assurances did Mr. Momoa and Mr. Juan give Amber, that she would be an Aquaman too. Objection, hearsay. Sustained. Must have blown a little good. Uh, what if any, are you aware of any that? chemistry issues uh, between Amber and Jason Momoa from Aquaman? Yeah, she According him. to the fact that they did a chemistry test with Ms. Heard, Ms. Heard and Jason Momoa in order for her to be hired, that is a good indication that they thought the two of them had good chemistry. Uh, obviously, when you look at the movie, they have good chemistry, and the poster, they have good chemistry. So I think it's general awareness that they had great chemistry. That was just an excuse. And what, if anything, uh, would also suggest, uh, with respect to Aquaman 2, uh, that Jason Momoa believed they had good chemistry. He wanted her in the movie. Oh. Okay. You're saying? I think she, she has to be able to rely on Sustain. Let's strike okay. it from the record. Uh, in your review of all of the record evidence, what, if anything, did you say see in writing anywhere that there was ever any chemistry or creative issue with Amber Heard and Jason Momoa from Aquaman 1? There were no communications whatsoever that there was no chemistry between the two. And, and what, if anything, did you, in all the record evidence, did you see that the producer or Jason Momoa did not want Amber Heard in Aquaman 2? 
I did not see any evidence of that. Okay. In fact, the opposite, correct? Correct, again. I overrule. Thank you, Your Honor. Now, what, if any, leverage did Amber Heard have to renegotiate her salary under the circumstances of the discussions you were talking about with not exercising her option? She had zero leverage. She was fighting for her life to stay in the film. Okay. Now, is it typical for an actor to be able to negotiate an increase in their salary after a successful franchise? So you may know this already, and so I apologize if you've heard it before. I don't know what's been brought to your attention, but in a franchise such as, a potential franchise as Justice League and Aquaman, the customs and practice is that the studio will make an agreement with the actor that incorporates potential future films. So if Justice League does well, they want to know what they're going to pay the actor for the next one and the next one and the next one. And in those successive terms in the contract, the fee for that actor customarily goes up. It can go up by 10%, 20%, 100%. It could double, what have you. And in the case, as Ms. Kovacevic stated in her testimony, that in a successful franchise, a movie that's made a billion dollars, the actors, agents will go back and try to renegotiate that upcoming price tag. So if it was going to be X, they might want it to be 2X or 3X. And that's very standard in the industry to renegotiate your contracts when there's many films in one single contract that each have their own price point. What if any other actors in Aquaman 1 were able to renegotiate their contracts? Jason Momoa renegotiated his contract very significantly from Aquaman 1 to Aquaman 2. Do you know roughly how much more? It went up from the, you know, somewhere between 3 and 4 million to 15 million. Did Amber have a contract for Aquaman 1? Yes. How much was she paid for Aquaman 1? Aquaman 1, she was paid $2 million. And did that same contract provide for if she was in Aquaman 2? I'm sorry, I apologize. Aquaman 1, I believe she got $1 million. Aquaman 2, she was supposed to get $2 million. I apologize, the numbers, there were a lot of numbers in that one contract. So Aquaman 1, it was $1 million. Aquaman 2, it was going to be $2 million. Now, based on your experience and knowledge in the industry, how much would Amber Heard have been able to negotiate her contract but for the Depp Waldman statements? For Aquaman 2, I'm asking. Right. Well, as you can see from Mr. Momoa's contract that went up exponentially, up to $15 million. Ms. Heard, I don't know if she would have gotten $15 million for the movie, but she certainly could have increased it by $1 or $2 million or even doubled it. So if it was 2, it could have been 4 or even 5 or 6, depending on the enthusiasm if it had just rolled from Aquaman 1 to Aquaman 2 without any of this negativity that was created by the Depp Waldman statements. What if anything happened to Amber's role in Aquaman 2 after the Depp Waldman statements? It was diminished. Now, why would Amber have been featured more prominently in Aquaman 2? Objection, no foundation. It's only a foundation. Okay. What usually determines, are you able to speak to whether Amber should have been or would have been more prominently featured in Aquaman 2? 
Well, a couple of things. Just Wait, I mean, I'm trying to get your foundation. Are you able to speak to that? Yes. Okay. And please tell the basis of that and then your opinion. So there's two things. When two actors do well in a romantic relationship and, you know, they get married or they're going to have a baby, you know, you want to follow that through because part of what did well in Aquaman was not only the action sequences, but to have a strong female character having a relationship with a strong male character is very empowering, right? So that was working for them in the first place. The poster of Aquaman that went around the world was one of the main posters was of the two of them together standing proud and strong right being that couple and so naturally as you go and develop scripts in the industry you want to follow on the things that are working and according to Miss Heard when she read the first script for Aquaman 2 she had a strong romantic arc the entire film and then she also got to do some great action sequences at the end of that storyline in that script so she was featured predominantly throughout the script of Aquaman 2 when she first read it Right. And then what happened? Well, she didn't hear anything, so she wasn't getting the scripts when everyone, her colleagues were getting the scripts. She heard that through her agents. And then when she got the script, um, it was pared down from the first script dramatically. They had her in the hospital very shortly in the, in the first part of the movie called Act One. They had her in the hospital, and they pretty much had her in the hospital, and then she was going to do this action sequence in the end. She trained five hours a day for several months with a trainer to do this big action sequence. And then when she got to set, two things happened. One, the costume designer said, I don't know what happened to your role. It got diminished. Objection, hearsay. And more importantly, though, this big action sequence that she was going to do in, in the, at the end of the movie, in the third act, was cut out, and they took it away from her. So it was radically reduced from what it was in the script and what she even trained for uh, while she was preparing for the movie. And what, if any, changes were made to the storyline? I haven't seen the movie yet okay. specifically, so I can't really speak to that yet. All right, and when you say she was in the hospital, what do you mean by was she injured in the first scene? I believe that in the in the first act of the movie, she was injured somehow or has something to do with the baby. I don't know exactly. I'm just going with what Ms. Heard told me about was that she ends up in, in the hospital early in this new Aquaman 2 movie and doesn't really come out until the end to kind of wrap things up. But all of the interactions with, you know, Momoa's character and the certainly the action scenes were taken out. How has Amber typically been involved in promotions for her films? As we talked about earlier, actively involved in the press and the promotion, whether that was on the press junkets, what we call when they tour the world and, they, and the actors tour together and, and answer questions from the press at various screenings and film festivals. And then also she was you know, on the cover of magazines, usually after her, her movie, especially after Justice League. And how was the promotion of Aquaman 2 affected by the Deaf Walden statements? Amber has not been involved in any of the promotion that's been done to date, or very little, particularly in, a, in a teasers that I've seen, we call, you know, short little films about the making of and so forth. She's not featured in them. And also, very specifically, there was a big event that Warner Brothers um, put on during the fandom, I think it's a DC fandom event, which is a big kind of like Comic-Con style event. And they invited all of the actors, or the majority of the actors that had strong roles in film to participate, both in the posters and the artwork, and also participate at, at, at DC fandom. And Ms. Heard was not invited to either be in the poster or be at the event. And in fact, they told her she cannot come. 
Now, can, can this hurt Amber's career, not being allowed to be in any of the promotional materials? Absolutely. I, it means that nobody knows about her. She doesn't have the same part in the film. It's not going to take her on to her next movie. She's not being associated with the tremendous amount of promotion that's going to be made for this, you know, movie that everybody's looking forward to see. So she's not a part of it because of this negative campaign. How have the Depp Waldman statements affected any other films or TV project promotions for Amber? So, uh, prior to the defamatory statements, but either around the, you know, after or around the time that Aquaman 1 uh, came out, she was in the, the TV show called The Stand. It was based on a Stephen King novel. So, big book, you know, going to be a big TV show. And again, uh, Ms. Hurd didn't do any press or promotion for that for the same reasons. And what if any plans were there to have Amber Heard on that cover of L.A. Style of relating to Stan before the Dev Baldwin statements? Right, so Ms. Heard was in, an, uh, they had done an article about her participation in this TV show, The Stand, the Stephen King novel uh, related uh, TV show, and they were going to give her the cover picture and cover story, and they took that away. I don't know if it even if the article existed, but they certainly took away the cover picture and the cover story. How have the Depp Waldman statements affected press requests for Amber? There aren't any. So, so yes, they affected it because there used to be a lot of press requests and now there aren't any. Has Amber Heard obtained any roles since the Depp Waldman statement? Again, uh, uh, for many years, no, for a good period of time, over a year and a half, two years, until she got this small movie called the uh, Into the Fire. Has Amber obtained any studio movie roles since the Depp Waldman statements? No. How, if at all, have Amber's philanthropic opportunities been affected by Depp Waldman statements? Again, she had some passion projects. She was invited to do some charity work, and she also had her own passion projects that she, you know, loved and wanted to be involved with and needed to travel for. Uh, but they decided it wasn't going to be a good idea because every time she appears anywhere, the social media negativity cam you know, campaign starts up again. So she hasn't been able to do any security work. What is an endorsement? So an endorsement is when an, an actor associates themselves with a product, either for print promotion or commercials, you know, like Jennifer Aniston doing the water, you know, or uh, Matt McConaughey doing the car commercial, that's a product endorsement. He's paid to say that the product is good and be associated with the product. How, how important are those endorsements to the actors in the entertainment industry? Well, very, very important on two levels. One, they bring a good amount of income to them when they're not shooting a movie, so it's a good way to make money in between film roles. And then also, it shows the studios and the production executives and the financiers that the actor is relevant in the community because they're being associated with the product. So if it's a well-known product, that's really great. If it's a medium product, that's great, and so forth and so on. So you want to be, if you can, and if that's something that you like to do, not everybody does, but if they like to do that, then they can get a lot of um, value out of those product endorsements because then the studio sees that there's a connection with the consumer, not just on the film, but also the product. Did Amber have any endorsement activities prior to the publication of the Depp Waldman statements? Yes. Please explain. So Amber was hired by uh, L'Oreal 
to be a product and, uh, and endorse their product, the makeup line. And she had a $1.5 million contract for two years. Um, and they were able to uh, work. They had 20 days of her work. You know, they had the right to, to work with her for 20 days. And she started the work, and then when the defamatory statements came out, they essentially put a pause on working with her. So they no longer brought her to photo shoots, they no longer had her do public events for the product, and basically said, we love you, but we can't work with you right now because it's just too objection much. Objection to hearsay. All right. I, I'll sustain the objection. No okay. question. Um, have, Mr. have the Deb Waldman statements affected that deal in any way? With L'Oreal. Well, A, they put it on pause and haven't done any of the work, so she's not out there in the public eye related to the product. And they uh, have decided to continue working with her at some point once, as I said, this all quiets down, this trial is over, and, and hopefully the negative campaigns will stop. Uh, so they extended her contract, but they did not pay her for that extension. And has Amber been hired for any other endorsement deals since the Deb Waldman statements? No. Good. Now, did you assess That's Amber's right. losses as a result yeah, of the death of statements? Yes. What did you do to assess those? Well, first of all, I looked at Amber's career directly, so I wanted to see, you know, as I said earlier, she worked consistently, and then she was on this kind of very large upswing with the big movies, Justice League and Aquaman, and, and all of that, and the stand with the Stephen King project, um, and then it stopped, right? So her work stopped. And then I looked at other actors that kind of grew up at the same time frame, grew up meaning they started their career and had the same time frame to start going from the smaller projects to the well-known director projects to the big movie projects. And I looked at those actors and I then saw after they had their stars for a moment, if you will, I wanted to see where their careers went. So I looked at several actors to see, including Jason Momoa, her, her co-star, to see what happened in their careers after such a successful film as Aquaman uh, came out. And why did you use that method of analysis? It's a very common methodology in the entertainment industry to work with what we call comps. I think Ms. Kvacevic even used that word, comp. Um, for, so you, you know, with films, you try to find comparable films. With actors, you look to see comparable actors. So you could kind of, Boring. it's not a distinct actual, this is going to happen but this is the probability with a reasonable certainty that with the right management team that she had and her acting ability and her looks and the press that she was getting and should have continued to get, that her career would have been similar to these other actors. Have you used that method in other cases uh, in which you've been an expert on damages? Yes, I have. Who did you select as comparable actors for your comparison? Well, I wanted to look at actors that were in superhero films that had done really well at the box office. So I, I looked at Jason Momoa, her co-star. I looked at Gal Gadot, who was, uh, is, is in Wonder Woman. Uh, I looked at um, Anna de Armas, who was in um, uh, bah, 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 bah. Blade Runner. Thank you, Blade Runner. Um, I looked at Zendaya, who was in Spider-Man. And I looked at Chris Pine, who was in Star Trek and also Wonder Woman. About the, you know, similar age range, all attractive actors, all with good acting skills, all able to do stunts. So I was, it's not, there are not that many actors to look at who do superhero characters. So it was a small pool to work from, but I took a wide range from those actors, both men and women, to see what was, what could potentially happen to Miss Hood's crew. Do you consider all of them to be identical for purposes of measurement? 
Well, absolutely not. I mean, no two actors are identical. You can only look at that within a range of characteristics and uh, work history, management team, and so forth. And, and we've heard from Mr. Banya. Uh, did you review Mr. Banya's Q-score analysis regarding the comparables you used? Yes, I did. And what, if any, opinions have you formed in reviewing Mr. Banya's analysis regarding the comparables you selected? So Mr. Banya looked at calendar years to assess so what happened in December of you know 2017 or 18 or 19 what happened in June what happened in a very specific time frame which works on some statistical analysis but when you're talking about actors and their relationships to Q scores Q scores are related to the actors viability in the consumers mind, if you will, how well known or how much they're coming up in conversation. And so Mr. Banny did not look at time periods of the actors that I compared them with to the film when it came out, so like right after the success of their big film, what was their Q-score, but moreover he just looked at them in a year range. So it doesn't coincide from actor to actor just because you look at it over time. You have to look at it specifically after each of those individuals box office success with a particular film, you look at the Q score high or low during that, and then you look at how low it drops, say a couple months afterwards, and then if it comes back up, if they have another film or another event that brings them into the, 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 the limelight again. So it's not about time, it's a, a related to a specific activity or event, and he did not do that. Okay. What did your comparison show in terms of films that those actors had been in since their breakout roles? I'm talking about the comparables. In terms of their, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand. Uh, well, what what happened with these other actors after they had their? So oh, unrelated to Q scores, were, right, right, right. Oh, okay, sorry. So all those actors' careers, the ones I mentioned, they all either were a steady rise or even a meteoric rise in in terms of where their career went after their Star is Born moment. Then they got some other good films, and maybe they got another film that performed extremely well. So it was a range, but they all were on an upward trajectory without a doubt. And what does this mean for Amber? With a reason, I mean, the way that the, the, the kind of industry works is usually, unless there is an, a force majeure or some really negative event, her career should have followed that same upward swing in, in about the same time frame, give or take six months to a year, but you, it would be very reasonable to to believe that her career would have been on an upward trajectory within the range of those other actors. What, if any, comparisons did you make respecting endorsement deals of these actors with Amber? You know, again, all those actors that we've talked about all did multiple endorsement deals after their big movies or after their big series of movies. You know, Jason Momoa is on, you know, Rocket Mortgage and Harley-Davidson as well as, you know, five or six other companies. Zendaya is Lancome and Fashion and Water and Jewelry and Gal Gadot and Chris Pine and, 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 and Anna de Armas. They've all done either a couple or many and all of them is associated with a large brand. Uh, unlike Amber, who hasn't done even been able to work on the one contract that she had, she certainly didn't get any others. So, what did your analysis show with respect to Amber Heard's losses, but for the Depp Waldman statements? They were significant. If, if we follow the trajectory of her, you know, colleagues. Well, let's start with at Aquaman two. What would she have realized there? Well, as I stated earlier, so. Um, 
from Aquaman 1 to 2, it went from a million dollars to two million dollars, right? So that was the pre-written contract, it doubled. So the agents were very excited after the success of Aquaman to go and negotiate a much higher uh, fee like they did for Jason Momoa. They weren't able to do that. So in that instance alone, it was more than likely a $2 million loss just from that movie alone. So two to four, you had said before? It could have been four. Could Objection have been leading. Sustain. Okay. Um, what about other films? So once, as, as Amber's agent, Ms. Kovacevic, I was doing okay. Uh, Ms. Kovacevic said that once you get that quote of the $2 million from Aquaman 2, that kind of was like the baseline for any other movie she would have done. So any other studio movie would have started from there, and depending on the success of Aquaman and how much press she did, maybe she worked on another great director, independent film, whatever, that $2 million for a studio film and had it jumped to $4 million, uh, with the renegotiation, that then would have been the basis. So any future studio film uh, that she would have done, any big budget film, would have been the basis at $4 million and then most likely have gone up from there if she was able to get others, which she should have, just like the other actors. Let's talk about TV for a minute. What would those losses have included? Well, on the stand, which was, you know, about the same time as Aquaman, but got the press and the promotion got cut off because of the defamatory statements and the negative campaign. She got paid $200,000 an episode on the stand. So on a TV series of nine episodes, it's $1.8 million. So if she had, again, done other TV shows, it's very likely that whether she worked with a streamer or with one of the networks, that that fee would have gone up from there. Her agents would have been able to use the leverage of the success of Aquaman 2 to put her, if she had done another television show, given rise to even a higher episodic fee. Some actors go up to $1 million an episode. Jason Momoa's uh, in, the, in his TV show got $1 million. So there's a, a you know an exponential range of where she could have gone. What about endorsements? Same thing, you know, all the other actors were doing over the course of a couple years period, you know, anywhere from five, six, seven other endorsement deals. And Ms. Hurd realistically should have gotten endorsement deals and other categories. L'Oreal is makeup, so probably not in makeup, but maybe water or clothing or jewelry or wellness or it could have been anything else and so she too should have with a reasonable degree of certainty gotten other contract deals based on the success of the films that she's been associated with and the tv shows she's been and associated what would that have translated into in terms of dollars so in terms of dollars okay so if it was 1.5 million dollars for l'oreal for a two-year contract and let's give her four other 1.5 or two million dollar deals, which all those other actors, you know, especially the ladies, have gotten, then you're looking at an additional $8 million of income over time. Well, I'm not saying this is in one period. We're looking at as far back as the defamatory statements of 2020 to now, which is almost two years. And again, as I said earlier, even when this is quiet, it will take three to five years for her to rehabilitate her career if she can. So we have to look at it as a period of a minimum of five years. So when I say $8 million for endorsement contracts, it would have been over time. Uh, what if any losses relating to production or film activities? Well, again, 
these other actors that we looked at, uh, and there's a wide range of them, some of them did bigger films and some of them did gigantic films, but it is very reasonable to assume that once you are in an, an Aquaman-style film, you'll either continue to do those, right? Some of these franchises, as we know, go for five, six films, or she would probably have been in another studio film that had nothing to do with Aquaman, but again, so over the course of five years, it's very reasonable to consider that she would have been in at least one film a year at a minimum of $4 million because that's what her precedent would have been had she renegotiated. And it's important to note that in her, in her Justice League contract, had there, if there is a Aquaman 3, her price is set at $4 million. So it's very reasonable to assume and to believe that if she did a film a year for five years at a minimum of $4 million a year without any negotiation, which probably would have happened, but let's just say that baseline, that would be another $20 million over that time frame. What, if any, opinions do you have about Amber Heard's earning power over time? That it, it would continue to rise. It's, it's customary in the industry, as I've talked about earlier, that the negotiations, um, especially with her agents at William Morris, her fees would have gone higher. So I'm just using the base. Okay, um, I said, what about Johnny's losses? I told Johnny, up the award to $200 million minimum. Because of her lies and defamation, he lost two huge franchises, each probably $100 million apiece. Pirates and Fantastic Beasts. So let's take a picture of that, and then um, then I'll be posting on it, you know. This bitch has no, um, there are no, yeah, she totally, it says Amber deserves this, she brought it on herself, yep. She deserves to, but she destroyed her own career. We don't claim her sincerely, LGBTQ+. Huh. Oh my god, Amber has a child. Take your child away. Save Amber's child. Hashtag save Una. Like Radiohead said. You do it to you do it to yourself. That's what it really has to do. In fact, I'm gonna sing that. On guitar. Cover it. For my new album, hashtag Johnny Depp's new GS. 
like Radiohead said, you do it to yourself. In fact, I'm going to sing that song on guitar cover for my new album, Johnny. Uh... Oops. Okay. <sighs> right. Okay. Top Chad. Top Chad. Kimberly Muldowney. But it makes Amber mad that the last two, three witnesses had to be paid $1,000 an hour up to $5,000 a court appearance. <laughs> like Radiohead said, to do it to yourself. In fact, I'm going to sing that song on guitar cover to my new album, Johnny Depp's new GF. I'll pay a thousand dollars just to see Queen Amber and Aquaman too. Is this person for real? Jerry High Butterflies, Dolphin, please. Stop calling Amber a lesbian when she's bisexual, that's really biphobic. My dog stepped on a bee. Amber does cocaine, it's over for her. You do it to yourself, you do. And that's what really hurts to do it to yourself, just you. You know no one else to do it to yourself. In the future, that I already know she got negotiated for four million. Do it to yourself. Use that as a baseline, minimum, but it very well would have gone up had her agents done the work that they wanted to do. So combining all of these opinions and calculations that you've had, what, if any, range of the losses you are estimating for Amber Heard but for the Deb Baldwin statements? Right, so again, it's really important that, that I look at and, and hopefully you understand this, that it's over time, right? So let's just say on minimum of five years that we're going to talk about these losses, and it could be more, but at minimum, if you look at the film, the television, and the endorsement contracts, it's very likely that Ms. Heard should have earned between 45 and $50 million well, over that time period. Are all your opinions to within a reasonable lawsuit. degree of probability or certainty? Yes. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Let's go ahead and take our afternoon recess, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Not do any outside research and not discuss this case with anybody. Mm -hmm. can I sit down? Yeah, you can see you can sit down. That's fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. Consent. I appreciate it, ma'am. Robert Judge, I'll probably give her consent of court. Lying. Minor court is still in session, please. Why doesn't I, um... Who's a liar? All right, so let's come back at 4 o'clock. All right. Thank you, Robert. Bye. Turks. Okay, so I guess that concludes our coverage for the time being. It's been on entertainment tonight. Watch live Johnny Depp be Amber. No, sorry. Scamber Turks defamation trial. And uh, thank you for 5,000 plus listeners across social media, subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, that's good for you. Very nice. You go check out my other coverage. I'm going to start um, 
reading off these comments. That's comedy, and I'm going to start making songs out of them. Okay. And I just got, like, my Instagram either got hacked or shut down by Trump. Because Facebook is... Facebook owns Instagram. And now, what is it, Unix or something owns um, TikTok. Which is also an FOT. And um, so I wouldn't, totally wouldn't put it past him for him to, you know, make a call and say, hey, shut down this chick. She's, she's bringing me too much heat. Easy, easily done. He does it all, all the time. He did it with Biden on national TV. He was cut out. There was a quid pro quo. No, there wasn't a quid pro quo. On the White House lawn. Okay, that's that's a great, okay. That's a great Trump joke. Okay, I'm collecting Trump jokes because I'm going to do an hour of them. Um, a no, quid pro quo. Favorite moments of Trump regime. Okay, quid, quid, pro, quo. Um, that was one of them. And uh, when TikTok tanked Trump and Tulsa. <laughs> that was great. I'm going to like make a picture of uh, his face. Okay, that was the second one, and what was the other one? Um, it was kind of fun, like um, his ass, his tennis ass, it's pretty funny that. And uh, the di diaper don! <laughs> and his coke nose. It's kind of a toss up between those two. Diaper don, coke nose, and uh, what was the other? Just because, uh, you know, the upside down Bible, you know, that's like pretty obviously fucking satanic to me. Huh. Well, the Christians, when you need them, that's fucking satanic, motherfuckers. Hold a Bible upside down. He's never even fucking opened a Bible. They asked him, what's your favorites? Not in English, not British accents. They asked him, what his favorites? Bible passage or whatever, anything from the Bible of the, the lights. He, he, uh, he tried to pretend like, oh, it's personal. <laughs> I wonder what, Sa what's her name? Sandra? That comedian who would do the, um, I, w I wanted to run for, I wanted her to run as my vice president, or I'll, she can run for president, I'll run for vice president. That, that chick on TikTok who um, made it big, like uh, memorizing his his speeches, and um, <sighs> make it Polly Pints. Poly user, those are two 
kind of cool words, cool terms, and alpacas. Then renew the renewed interest in alpacas. Huh. And um, what else? So yeah, thanks for just by. Um, just call Congress, call um, and demand insurrection charges. Call the White House. Congress is 202-224-3121. The White House is 202-456-1111. The move on petition to indict Trump and expel the GOP for insurrection is at HTTP. It's on. It's a move on petition. HTTPS colon slash slash BIT dot LY slash 3KA1MMD. Okay, 3KA1MMD. Wear a mask to protect yourself, your family, and your community. Um, be nice to each other. Try to raise the frequency, the vibration of the planet. Um, we're all in this together. Even though they want to divide us, we're all in the same boat, motherfuckers. If you let them, if them like being the the um, the iniquitous beings. That, uh, you know, evil, 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 that's what evil, evil is, that, uh, you know, the, the sex trafficking, the kids, and hiding that, and the church, and all that. Tax the church, by the way. Bring them to justice for the residential schools, 